The minute that you get labeled a conspiracy theorist, pretty much everything that you have to say ceases to be taken seriously. The red pill is just about kind of shaking up your perception of the way that things really And on the understanding that what you've been told your entire life is a consciously constructed lie. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. The idea of Project Bluebeam is that NASA, with the help of the United Nations, was attempting to implement a new age religion with the Antichrist at its head and start a new world order via technology simulating the second coming of Christ. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. Hawkeye Media presents... Conspiracy with PJ and Abby. Enough the thing about conspiracy theories is like it's sometimes they're not going to be true. And it's okay. There's literally nothing wrong with asking the questions and pulling on the threads and doing the research. Right. It is what it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another bonus episode of Conspiracy Pill. We're going back to Daniel, we're on part two of Daniel. It's been a minute since we've done one of our Bible streams, but I'm excited to be here. I'm your host, PJ Williams, and with me, as always, is Abby Libby. How you doing, Abby? I'm I'm good. I'm Is thing are things working? <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> we've been having tech issues, that's why we're late. <laughs> Everything good on your end? Oh, there's two Something's not muted. Something's not you hearing me double or Okay. 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 Yes. We good? We fine. We fine. We're good. <laughs> We're good. Hi. All Hi. right. Hi. Pretend that intro didn't happen. Hello. That everyone. intro was pure conspiracy pilled. Yep. Yeah. That was a psyop. Just to <clears throat> Okay, but in all honesty, <laughs> we did <laughs> all most of our tech issues issues today were the fact that last two weeks we did one episode with both of us here at my house yeah so like the camera stuff was all messed up here and then we did all we did an episode where we were both at your house so all the audio stuff was messed up over there so yep. having to change everything from being like online streaming talking to each other to being in the same room at the same time actually threw us off a little bit so yeah. also there's a huge <clears throat> thunderstorm happening here and a tornado watch so that might be it too Perfect. Well, if you wind up in Kansas, just remember, there's no place like home. Um, if I, okay, I'll just wait. Is yeah. it Kansas? No, you start no. in Kansas, then you end in Oz. Yeah. You know what? Doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure that movie's about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, we're going to be reading through the second half of Daniel and uh, man, what was it like a month or two ago so that we did the first ago. part? It feels like forever ago. So I was actually having to look through some notes. I'm like, we ended at ch- we, we read one through seven on our first stream. We're starting mm-hmm. at chapter eight and I was trying to remember like I know we did it based on the language stuff. So I actually had to look this up again. So I found the the answer right here and I think I got this a little bit wrong the last time. So Daniel's written in two languages and I was thinking that one through seven was the same language and eight through 12 are the same language. It's not exactly true. So I found this answer from grace through faith.com and it says the book of Daniel was originally written in two languages from the beginning of the book through Daniel two, three, which is interesting because it's like 
Well, I, they didn't write it in chapters, I guess, back then. But like and Daniel 2, verse 3 is originally written in Hebrew. And in Daniel 2, 4, the prophet switched to Aramaic, the language of the Babylonians, and used that language through the end of chapter 7. This corresponds with a portion of the book dealing primarily with Gentile dominion. Beginning in chapter 8, the rest of the book is in Hebrew again, since huh. the focus of the last five chapters is primarily on Israel. So that's how we split it up, is the first seven chapters are primarily about the you know, big powers that are controlling the world. You've got that whole statue thing where it tells you about all the empires and he's working in King Nebuchadnezzar's court and all that stuff. And then King Nebuchadnezzar dies and is replaced. And the last five chapters are speaking to Israel. So that's kind of why we split it up the way that we did. So we're going to be starting in chapter eight. Uh, if you missed the first one, go back and check it out. It's uh, uh, it's on Rumble and everywhere. So anyway, it's places. <clears throat> it's places. You can find it. You can listen to it. It's it's not hidden from you. Um, hope everyone is doing well tonight. We're just gonna, just a reminder. We just read through these. We didn't do like a ton of research and have notes and stuff like that. We really wanted to do this coming into it, just reading and discussing the Bible. Some of these things that we're talking about, like revelation, we're going to go back to, but we're just continuing that tradition that we started with the book of revelation. We went from there to Matthew chapters 24 and 25. Uh, and then we're pretty much just covering everything that in the Bible speaks of end times and, and is referenced in revelation. I think we'll also get to like Ezekiel and a couple other places. I'm trying to remember what else was referenced in like a lot of stuff, but a lot, a lot of stuff. Ezekiel's next. And then maybe Genesis. Yeah. yeah. So (laughs) anyway, before we get started, would you mind uh, praying for us? And then we'll, we'll hop into it. And uh, as, as always just, Feel free to shout out questions and stuff, and we're just going to mostly be reading and chatting with the audience. It's just really laid back and kind of different from our regular show. So Yeah. All right. Daryl, thank you so much for today and for the show that you've allowed us to do uh, and for how far we've come in the last year. And uh, thank you for just the opportunity to read your word with all these cool people. And I pray that you would direct the conversation where it should go and show us the things you want us to see. And, uh, yeah, just be honored through this. In your name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. It has been a crazy year. We were, it was yeah. a year ago in August, the beginning of August that we were first coming up with the name and concept yeah. for conspiracy filled. Like, yeah. And we barely knew each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> like two days after meeting each other, it's like, let's do a show together. Let's do a and podcast. then it's like, let's start it a month from now. <laughs> I remember at the time thinking that it was like totally normal thing to do. No, I knew it, I remember it was also like on brand for me. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. I remember thinking like, this sounds awesome. Why does this person want to work with me? Something's wrong. <laughs> Something's wrong. What's wrong? Because uh, we both were like so behind the whole idea. And I was just like, oh, like this is something I'm into. But I yeah. just assumed you'd be like, yeah, you're weird. I think. So. <laughs> I think the Still calling I am on so both weird. of us. I think the calling on both of us was so strong that when the opportunity presented itself, it was like, "Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. True. And what's funny is I was telling you this, but I didn't say this on on camera. Um, I, when whenever I would introduce someone on, I was doing a different show back then, wartime propaganda. Yeah. And whenever I would bring somebody on that I didn't know, I would intentionally try to. 
offend them a little bit to see <laughs> how they like to see if I could jive with them and be like, yeah. all right, you know, like I'll, I'll do something that would be offensive. And if they laugh and have a good time, then we can be friends. And uh, <laughs> with you, I didn't know anything about you. I didn't know if you had kids or whatever. And there was this story about like there's this Twitter thread going around about like husbands sharing the misery of being in the waiting room with their oh, wives yeah. and how it's so much worse on the husbands. And we <laughs> covered that story and it was so funny. Um, yeah, was. We just joked about a lot of good stuff that time. So like I she feel was like disturbing my pizza eating with her screaming or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like somebody didn't want to make dinner tonight. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Ah, good so time. let's get into it. We are on Daniel chapter uh-huh. eight. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> I, you have to read this in the original Hebrew. No. Okay. (laughs) In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. So this is the second vision. And Belshazzar is Assyrian, right? We're out of the Babylonian Empire and the Assyrians took over? Are we in the Medes and Persians now? Persians, I thought, but that's a good question. I want to understand timeline. This is the problem with having so much stuff go on that I forget little things like that. Well, it's also, we went through a whole timeline of historically and then the dreams kind of like go back. We focused, yeah, we definitely focused more on the dreams, but there is a lot of history in Daniel. And I mean, it's over the course of his whole life. And just to give it context, this Neo-Babylonian empire that King Nebuchadnezzar was part of lasted Mm -hmm. less than a hundred years. So a lot happens in a yeah. short amount of time in this in this region of the world. So I do believe it was the Medo-Persian Empire that took over after the um They took over after Babylonians, so y- which is something that Daniel oh. prophesied. Yes. But Belshazzar is the last last Babylonian king, right? Cuz it says that yeah. Nebuchadnezzar was his dad or possibly his uncle. Yeah. Is kind of the translation that we were because then Darius is of the Medes and the Persians. Yes, yes, King Darius. So we're still in the Neo-Babylonian Empire, but it is in its twilight. Okay. And then was Assyria, where was Assyria? Because I thought, was it before? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Abby, stop asking questions. <laughs> I thought it was before, but I'm going to sound like an idiot if I say <laughs> that for sure. No, because it was, it had to have been because it goes, ba- you know, the Neo-Babylonian yes. Empire, then the, per- um, sorry, the uh, Medo-Persian Empire. Yeah, Medo-Persian Empire, and then it is the Greeks, and then the Romans. Okay, yeah. It goes Akkadians, Assyrians, and then Babylon. Yes. There was an ancient Babylon, which we've talked about plenty on other stuff yes. with like uh, Nimrod, a.k.a. Um, yeah. Why can't I think of his name right now? The, the Gilgamesh? Gilgamesh. Yeah, Gilgamesh. So this is a different... Babylonian Empire, but it's in the same place. This is also taking place, it tells us in the beginning of the book of Daniel in Shinar, which is used only one other time in the Old Testament, which is talking about where the Tower of Babel was built. So it's yes. telling us that this is the new Babylonian Empire and it's making references back to the Tower of Babel and all these things. So brilliant. Anyway, okay. Now we're caught up. Now we can get yeah. into the the vision of the ram and a goat. Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. And I saw on the, I don't know why I'm nervous. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's, what's this vision that I've read at this point? I've read the Bible more times than I have been able to keep track of. And I'm like, what is, what's, what's the dream? (laughs) (laughs) And I saw in the vision. And when I saw, I was in Susa, the capital, which is in the province of Elam. 
And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Uli Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, <clears throat> and instead of it there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Are we tracking? Is everybody That's what I'm, up? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I was tracking. It's been a minute since I've read this prophecy, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it's about. We'll read some notes and things like that, but... At first, like the first imagery that came to my head was, is this the the goat? Is it, no, that's a lamb anyway. Uh, the lamb with the seven horns in, in uh, Revelation. Well, a it's ram not, is just a male sheep. So Yes. No, I didn't mean the ram. I meant the goat. Oh. <laughs> Got it. But anyway, we'll keep going. Um. Four conspicuous horns. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. Some of the host. Verse 10 is It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars... So those are two different things, the host and the stars. Right. But sometimes you hear them like the same, Some, the starry host. Sometimes it's like they're the same thing, for sure. Yeah. It threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offerings because of transgression. I'm so confused right now. It's all good. Some of this, some of the, uh, just to point out, some of this is prophecy that has been fulfilled and then some yeah. of it's not. So there are okay. notes on things uh, like about the horns and stuff like that that I'll read uh, here in a minute after we, okay. or do we want to stop and, and pause at the first part and kind of go through what, uh, what, what verse are we on right now? Um, Go all three through 12, and then then I'll read something. Oh, wait, that is what you just finished. Okay, so yeah. I have a note here that says 8, 9 through 12. Okay. Um, actually, I'm just going to go through the notes in my study Bible real quick. So uh, let's see. The ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire. The longer of its two horns reflects the predominant position of Persia, which we also saw reflected in the bear, I believe. Was it the bear, where it had one leg that was kind of weak? 
yeah. on its front legs and then one that was strong. Okay. So we've seen we've seen the same visions of rulers three times now. We've seen the statue, right? Where it's like, you know, I'm trying to remember it's like gold and bronze and yeah. iron and then iron mixed with clay at, at its feet, right? So it's like these weaker and weaker empires going on down. And then we saw the four uh you know rulers of the world essentially represented in beasts was like the jaguar with the wings and heads. And then there was the bear and the bear was the Medo-Persian empire again, like I said, with the one weak leg and the one strong leg. So Got seeing it. the horns, it's, it's kind of the same thing. So, and then it says, uh, let me so, see. Wait, the Ram is the Medes and the Persians, the Medo-Persian empire. Yeah. The Cause Medo-Persian it's, it's a, yeah, a combined yeah. empire. Okay. Yep. And then, uh, the rapidly charging goat is Greece and the prominent horn is Alexander the great. See, that's what I was wondering when it said split into four. I'm like, cause that was also another oh. earlier ver- uh, ver- vision, which is that the Greek empire would be broken and split into four because you had yeah. one strong one, uh, Alexander. And then when he died, it basically got split up into four between four different monarchs. Okay. Hang on. So. Sorry, there, finish your notes and then I want to read it again. It's just in light of what we know. I, I agree. I agree. We should do that. And then again, I just want to point out like some of this is going to be stuff that's that's why Daniel's so interesting to me is there's stuff that was written that we know was written before we've we, the Dead Sea Scrolls have proved how old Daniel is and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that these were written before they came to pass. So Daniel mm-hmm. is one of the books in the Bible that's verifiably predicting the future accurately many, many times. And yeah. then it gets into stuff that hasn't happened yet. And that's why I find it interesting to go from here's what we know happened. We know it was written at this time and we know that those things came to pass and it becomes more obvious what his visions meant later on. uh, And then the stuff that is uh, in line with revelation. So says the rapidly charging goes Greece. Let's see shattered. It's two horns. Greece crushes the Medo Persian empire. Uh, The large horn was broken off the death of Alexander the great. As I said, yeah, the one large horn between the eyes of the goat broken off death of Alexander the Great at the height of his power in 323 BC. And then four prominent horns are equivalent to the four heads uh, that was talked about in chapter seven. Um, and then we have eight, nine through 12 it says another horn emerges not from the 10 horns belonging to the fourth kingdom, but rather from the one of the four horns belonging to the third kingdom. <clears throat> that horn has started small is Antiochus four epiphanies. Mm. who during the last few years of his reign, 168 to 164 BC, made a, uh, made a determined effort to destroy the Jewish faith. He in turn served as a type of even more ruthless beast the last, in the last, sorry. He, tur- he in turn served as a type of the, of the even more ruthless beast of the last days, the Antichrist who is referenced in 7-8 as a little horn. Antiochus was extended his power over. So Antiochus, for people who don't know, is the whole... Um, why well, can't think of those? Uh, Maccabees. F- Maccabees. Yes. So this is talking about that. And one of the things that <clears throat> biblical detractors will say is this was obviously written during the Maccabees and that's how they knew all this stuff. But again, mm. with things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have proof that this is pre Maccabean era that this was written. Got it. So maybe we should read the Maccabees at some point. I think we should at least the, at least the first there's like some debate if the later Maccabees are kind of like some of the later Gnostic gospels where they can claim to be mm. a continuation, but are kind of off in the Not really. weeds. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Off in the weeds. Okay. Right, 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 right. Okay. So the verses were 
The male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. Why is why is that line in there? Is it because that they dominated through naval force? I don't know. It's just a guess. Because Greece is a group of islands. It is. <clears throat> That's huh. just my guess. Huh. Or wait. Google, how did Greece <laughs> conquer the world? But yeah, <clears throat> um, while you're looking that up, Base Babe over here says, I went back and watched some of your old stuff. Your intros are hilarious. I mean, we plan <laughs> to be like, you know, professional about our intros, then they turn into what they are. So but our intros are... <laughs> Only less bad than our outros. Yeah. Only, only slightly <laughs> less bad than our outros. Uh, Base Babe also asked, how did y'all meet? Uh, literally through Twitter. And then yeah. I asked Abby to come on a show I was doing. Uh, I didn't really know her before that. I was just like yeah. asking all kinds of people. So I was, was like, she's got the- some good takes on Twitter. Let's see if she wants to come on my show. I had, ju- I had lost my account. I was still in that like messy middle before I rebuilt. That's right. And I remember tr- I was trying to like reestablish all my old connections, but there were some people that I wasn't entirely certain of. I was like, that that person looks familiar, but I'm not sure if I like followed them back before. And I remember going back and forth on your, <laughs> on your little profile picture. Like this looks familiar, but I have no idea who he is, but I'm pretty sure I followed him. So I'm going to do it again. It's one of those, it's one of those things in life where you look back and you're like, would we have met each other and started the show? Had you not lost your Twitter? Account? I don't think so. I don't think so. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Wild, wild stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those, like, you look at it and you're like, "Um, I'm pretty sure God did that because I definitely wasn't involved. Well, I've I've told this story before. My whole life had to fall apart for me to be in position to meet my wife. Yeah. Like, like my whole life had to fall apart. I was living in my car and then my car broke down in the desert while I was living out of it. So, like... (laughs) Things were bad, uh, but it, it all brought me to a place where I was in, on the other side of the country and end up meeting my wife. So, yeah, and she's great and she's can, great. can yeah, confirm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. We're at verse 13 unless uh, you had something about oh, yeah, Greece you yeah. wanted to say. No, I just wanted to go back over this and just get it. What the other thing that I kind of wrestle with is. There are things that I was taught in history books as if they were important that the Bible doesn't really prophesy, doesn't say anything about. And then there are things that the Bible prophesies like three times Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in one book. And I'm like, it's just the bees of the Persians. What's the big deal? And it's just interesting what God said was really important. Yes. Yeah. I and, think that we look yeah. at history and we determine what's important based on what we were taught in history. But like so often things that we're taught are like the most important thing to learn in history are happening to the backdrop of other bigger, massive things that we're just never taught about. Yeah. 
Like, for instance, mm-hmm. we learned quite a bit about how Hitler was a bad guy. We all get it. Hitler's a bad guy. Yeah. But like, I feel like I only had one teacher who was willing to, and it was an English class, wasn't even a history class, decided to teach us all about Stalin. And I was like, how did I graduate high school uh-huh. in America? Uh-huh. And like, I don't have an understanding of who Stalin is. Yeah. I, we never learned about Mao ever or Pol Pot or anything. And I'm just like, man, like we heard about this one guy a lot, but we never heard about like all this other crazy. You would almost think that the 20th century was like way more peaceful than it was. Yeah. It's, uh, it's almost like it was one of the horsemen <laughs> of the apocalypse. Almost like or that. Something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it also is from a perspective of like, what had the most impact on Israel, I think? What had the most impact on the story right. that the Bible is telling as opposed to what had the most impact on the United States? Because nobody <laughs> cares. Nobody cares about right. the United exactly. States. Exactly. <laughs> Hi, Alex. Um, All right, let's start in 13. Then. Okay. Yeah. Come on. Get us back on track. Let's get back. Let's get back into it. <laughs> okay. Then I heard a holy one speaking. Okay, I'm going to go back a couple verses. Okay. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. This is Antiochus, right? Yes. Okay. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great even as great as the prince of the host and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. This all happened. Yep. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offerings because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. So it sounds like when all this happened with the offerings, something also significant happened in heaven. Mm-hmm. That a host was given over. To <clears throat> well, this was the of first abomination of the desolation. This yeah. is where he went into the Holy of Holies and slaughtered a pig. Yeah. So it's like some like truly evil magic that was yeah. going on. Yeah. So it's almost like it wasn't all just symbols. <clears throat> sacrifices right. weren't all just symbols. And we, we've been saying this with sacrifices to the, the gods of the pantheons that they mean something in the spiritual world. We don't understand what they mean and why. Right. They do something. Yeah. So when the sacrifices, when the daily sacrifices ended, a host was given over and a host will be given over to it together with a regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? the transgression that makes desolate the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. All happened for sure. Yeah. Was that that exact timeline too? I thought so. Let me see. I mean, I believe the Bible, but I, I just like to confirm it. There were two, so this is the note that I have in my Bible. There were two daily sacrifices for the continual burnt offering, uh, as explained in Exodus, 
representing the atonement required for Israel as a whole. The 2300 evenings and mornings probably refer to the number of sacrifices consecutively offered on 1150 days, the interval between the desecration of the Lord's altar by Antiochus Mm. and its reconstruction by Judas Maccabeus. So yes, so it's, it's half that time because it's saying they did two a day, evenings and mornings. So 2300 evenings and mornings together. So yeah, that's like saying 2,300 red ones and blue ones. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. okay. <clears throat> um, verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Eli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Yeah. Okay. So he sees a man. And the man says, Gabriel. So is the man Gabriel? <laughs> Are there two people here or just one? There's two people here. Okay. It Who's says so. One? <clears throat> I thought it was Jesus. I thought it was the son of man or oh. no, ma- maybe not. Let me, let me read this again. So when I, when I had the vision, I sought to understand it. Behold, there stood before me one having a, the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of you and it called Gabriel. So he's talking to Gabriel, mm-hmm. Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision of the, this is a vision for the time of the end. Okay. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what you, what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, which talking about the, the desolation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Temple for refers to the appointed time of the end. And as for the Ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the Kings of, Oh, so it just tells us too, which is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Like sometimes like, what what does this mean? It's like, he'll tell you. As for the ram, you saw the two horns that these are the kings of Media and per- Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. first king. And for the horn that was broken in place, which the four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from this nation, which happened, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. That's such an interesting hmm. <laughs> one who understands riddles. Uh, okay, a description a of Antiochus four and his rise to power by intrigue and deceit is, Ooh. is kind of how that is. Um, <clears throat> he was not the like, rightful successor to the, to the throne. So he basically tricked his way into his, is, his position is the idea here that he understands esoteric knowledge. Like he understands what the secret societies are all saying that they know. You talking about Antiochus? And, yeah. The riddles and the secrets and all that. That's what I'm wondering. It's all very because I feel Robert like the, 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 the I, I, yeah I was gonna say I feel like this this explanation is probably the the most popular like you know narrative is like oh he understands riddles that means he was just tricky or whatever but I don't know I'm reading this as in like he knows the secret um, society stuff hmm. and people who he- would be deep in the secret societies just happen to have a really good way of gaining power yeah. Yeah. Which means he knew exactly what he was doing when he ended the <laughs> sacrifices and set up the 
abomination of desolation, <clears throat> which means there was intention behind it. And we know that the the one iron law of of the occult is consent. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So he did all this with... And this is why I think this matters in history, even though we're never... This isn't something we're taught about in schools because it doesn't affect the United States. But this was the closest person to being the Antichrist that has ever right. lived. Right. Okay. I want to... I wanna, not yeah. today, but in the future, I want to go through... We talked about it a little bit on a previous episode, but the idea of the seven horns and these these seven antichrists that lead up to the one antichrist. Yeah. I want to go through that because I feel like I'm trying to remember if I think Antiochus made the list for, for most people that are going through that. It's like he was one one of the antichrists leading to the yeah. the end antichrist, starting with Nimrod, going up through Antiochus and and uh well, the last one would have been what Nero and some people even put Hitler in that, which I would, the more I've been studying Hitler this week, the more I'm like, this guy yeah. legitimately literally believed he was the antichrist and tried to make himself. So, and nearly succeeded also based babe over here. The Riddler is biblical confirmed. confirmed. Yes, confirmed <laughs> getting Alex. strong. Robert Langdon vibes yeah. right now. I like yeah. it. <laughs> we probably, we have what? Two more books, two or three more books. Two, I think it's two more. I think there's five yeah. total. Yeah, and then we got to do do a big review. Or we definitely need to to go through some of the stuff in those books for sure. It's gonna have to be one of those. We read this, so you don't have to. Maybe that'll be the next. One. Maybe that'll be the next Hawkhound book club. Is we'll do mm. one of the Robert Langdon books. That could be good. Yeah. Okay. 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 Where are we? Um, who understands riddles? His power shall be great, but not by his own power, because it's fallen angels. Because it's demonic. Yeah. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken but by no human hand, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. Yeah. About and 300, I, what about 300 years from when this would have yeah. been written? Yeah. And I, Daniel was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the King's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. It's interesting. The physical effect that this, vision has that the idea that seeing the future like this and being in contact with this spiritual world like this um, has that sort of like it makes him sick for days and days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alex, we're going to do all of them. Not just, not just angels and demons, not just Da Vinci code, the whole Robert Langdon series. Yeah. I think we should. That'd be fun. Yeah. Cause it's all the same book. It's all the same book with different (laughs) symbols. It would be fun though. It would be fun. Maybe we could do a series. Maybe maybe it'd make for a good unhinged series where we just go through all the symbolism of each book. Because the the plot's the same in all of them. The same plot. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, yeah. For your homework, everybody, (laughs) go read all the books or just one of them. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Pick whichever book has the symbolism you're most interested in because the story will be the same. Um, I really enjoyed the the lost symbol because it was all the DC symbolism because that's you know right where I live. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That was my favorite as far as symbolism goes, and it was my least favorite as far as story goes. A hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, get back on track. Um, Chapter nine: Daniel's prayer for his people. Back on track. Was Antiochus worse than, <laughs> than, than um? Uh, what's his face? Nero. No, the 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 most evil man in England. Alistair Crowley. Crowley. I. I feel like he has to be right. Like, yeah, Alistair Crowley did the most evil stuff you could imagine. But like, as far as like slaughtering a whole group of people, yeah. taking over their country and then uh, can, and then doing deeply evil satanic magic rituals in yeah. the Holy of Holies. Like that does make him more evil than L- Alistair a Crowley. Bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. The whole Aleister Crowley, most evil man in the world, came from like a Italian newspaper thing. Got it. So it's a little overwrought, but it's, it's not entirely wrong. Like the man was truly deeply evil. That is funny that they're like the most evil man in the world, and then the same generation is like, oh, Hitler, but Hitler <laughs> and Stalin. It was written <laughs> after Hitler and Stalin, I believe, we're which is a little weird. <laughs> after they were dead, right? I think so. By the way, guys, just so you know, I am deeply into the research for like Nazi alien UFO contact stuff. And the more I get into it, the more I'm like, man, Hitler was like so demonic and all the, like, oh, you know, the, the main story, but I'm just talking about like the, the deep satanic ritualism of the Nazis is so deep. It's insane. Yeah. I, I feel like over and over, it's, it's so hard to say it without sounding like you're diminishing something. I know. I know. Without, Without diminishing the Holocaust in any way, because that that was that was really, really, really deeply awful and bad, and it, keep that on the level that it is. I feel like we just talk about the Holocaust to cover up for all the other really awful stuff that Hitler did. It's it's just it's so it looms so large that we just don't talk about anything else. Yeah. I mean, it's not just Hitler, too. I I mentioned Stalin. I mean, Stalin starved three million people in Ukraine alone during World War Two. And that was just like the start of his genocide. And it's so much. I mean, and Mao. And it's just like, again, you never learn about those in American high schools anymore. It's weird. Hitler at least had the excuse of believing that the Jews weren't human. Stalin knew his people were human. and He still killed them all. Hitler did literally believe that they were a reptile race. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was batshit crazy. Hearing pleading voices in his head. Not not a joke. Literally, yeah. I feel anyway. like someone's gonna clip that destroy our lives in five years. It's fine. That's it's all fine. good. I'm not even worried about it. Um It's like I said the other day, I'm like I, I have no shame anymore, okay? Like four, at this point, fourteen thousand people have now watched me talk about uh, sexy Pleiadian space communists. <laughs> and I'm just like, my parents must be so proud. I'm so proud. In case anyone is confused, Hitler, bad. <laughs> All right, let's let's continue. Oh my God, okay. Daniel's prayer for his people. We're never going to get mm. through this book. Hey, the first episode, <laughs> I did seven chapters real fast. And now we're just like. We're going to okay. make these, la- these last five linger. For the, for the content. For yeah, content. Yeah. Keep talking. I'm going to open up uh, my drink. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books 
the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he basically has taken his dream and studied the other prophets and corroborated what was revealed to him with what was revealed to Jeremiah. I love that in the Bible, (laughs) in the Bible, uh, Daniel's like, I referenced other parts that would later become the Septuagint. I referenced the other people when I had questions instead of just like taking it all upon himself. So it's, it's really cool. Even with prophecy, my point is, even with prophecy, going back to the Bible to try to understand it. Yeah. So much of the Bible references the Bible. Yes. It's a very self-referential book. It's like a Marvel movie. It's like a a Marvel cinematic universe, but true. Then (laughs) (laughs) Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame." As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those far who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets." Real quick, shame is the appropriate initial response to sin. Yes. You're not supposed to live there. You're supposed to like <clears throat> you, you, repent and move past it. But initially, that is shame is a good thing. And I think that our society has decided that shaming people is inherently bad. Yeah, they decided shame is inherently bad. And the only time they make a good argument for why shame is bad is for people who just live there. And again, yeah. you pointed out exactly right. Shame, you should feel shame when you do something shameful. It is a good thing. Uh, but living there is is what Satan wants you to do. And living there, I think, is the, the excuse people, people do that so they don't have to go on and find a life outside of their sin. Right. Um, let's see, let's see. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness... 
righteous acts. Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. All right. <clears throat> Gabriel seems to be pretty prominent in the story of Daniel, which is interesting. Yeah, I've I've heard. So Gabriel and Michael are the two that are generally named right. in the Bible. They're the only two that are named in the Bible, right? I believe so, believe yes. So. There's, there's Jewish tradition that says... That that will insert other names into a couple other places where just an angel, a nameless angel, is mentioned, or a spiritual situation. Yeah, I don't is think Uriel is in the Bible. I think that comes from Jewish tradition yeah. and other places. And Uriel's some of the other names. not. And then Raphael, I think, is the one who supposedly brought Abraham's bones, or something, something to do with Abraham's right. They're bones, not very often named, though. Yeah, but not in the Bible. So Gabriel and Michael, the only ones <clears> in the Bible, and it seems how it was described to me was Michael is the archangel of Israel Mm -hmm. and Gabriel is the messenger. Gabriel is like the Hermes of the good side. Right. right, Yeah, for sure. Um, Which is interesting. Okay. 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 Let's see. Let's see. I like this, like the Gabriel brings him the answer because he's greatly loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is Gabriel speaking. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. So he's saying that like, even though you've prayed for this reprieve, this is this 70 weeks is necessary to put an end to the sin and to. Right. He's basically saying yeah. God's answering your prayer, but it's not right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not in the way that you want. Like this has to happen first. Right. The bad thing that you're praying against has to happen to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an appointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. 
and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with the many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. I want to read this yeah. notes here real Do quick. It. So <clears throat> it says, uh, in the time between the decree authorizing the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one was to be 69, seven plus 62 sevens or 483 years. The seven uh, sevens may refer to the period. I love how, <laughs> like some of this, you have to actually realize, like they just count things differently and do their yeah. math differently. Yeah. Instead of like by tens or just with real numbers. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> with real numbers. <laughs> with real numbers <laughs> instead of 77s. Uh, <laughs> the, seven, <laughs> the seven sevens may refer to the period of the complete restoration of Jerusalem, which is narrated in Ezra and Nehemiah. That's what I was wondering if that was about too. And the 62 sevens may refer to the period between the restoration of the Messiah's coming and the Messiah's coming to Israel. So some people refer to this as a dead period as in there was no books, no revelation. Yeah. No revelation, no prophets, no books written between, you know, the end of the rebuilding of Jerusalem and then the coming of the Messiah. Unless you consider things like Enoch in the second temple period. But outside of that, yeah, that's, that's what these 62 weeks are. 62 sevens, I should say 62 mm-hmm. times seven years, which is confusing. Uh, <clears throat> the final 70th seven is not mentioned specifically until verse 27, following the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, which is Antiochus. Therefore, while many hold that the 70th seven was fulfilled during Christ's earthly ministry in the years immediately following others conclude that there is an intermediate intermediate interval between the 69th and 70th seven, a period of war and desolations. According to this latter opinion, the 70th seven, the little horn or beast, the antichrist of the last days referred to here as the one who sets up an abomination that causes desolation and who is the antitype of the Roman Titus will establish a covenant for seven years with the Jews, but will violate the covenant halfway through that period. Uh, The death of Antiochus one refers to the crucifixion of way on. Oh, sorry. I'm mixing some things up. So basically, I wonder if that is what it's talking about, considering Antiochus reigned for four years, which would be halfway through a period of seven. So, okay, let's see the because I thought that was talking about the the end, the end. So. uh, I think we're talking about two ends. We're talking about the end of between Genesis and the son of man that comes to crush the head of the snake, the first coming of Jesus. And then there's the second coming. So like a lot of times when you're hearing about the antichrist and the end in this context, it's talking about the end of mm-hmm. the first, you know what I mean? Yeah. So let's see the know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of anoint of an anointed one. That's Jesus, right? Yes. To the coming of Jesus, an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. That's, um, hang on. No, that can't, that can't be Jesus because it's only seven weeks. 
to the coming of an anointed not one. Not seven weeks, seven times seven. Mine only says seven. I don't know. Sorry, which part? Yeah. Three. 70, okay, 70 weeks. I'm just reading what I have, and I, I might have a slightly different thing than you. Um, no, all, all I'm saying is that it's, in the plain English, it says 70 weeks or 77s, mm-hmm. but if you understand what that meant, yeah. it's telling you that it means 70 periods of seven years. So it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, which comes from Cyrus, the great, Mm -hmm. and Nehemiah is the one who takes it up, to the coming, from that to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, my Bible just says, there shall be seven weeks. What does yours say? Which verse? At the end of verse 25. There will be seven sevens. Okay. That's what mine says. Seven weeks, Okay. But then it says then for 62 weeks. So after the... Well, it's it's translating sevens as weeks sometimes because a week is seven days. But but if you look at the prophecy that's fulfilled in the time, it adds up when it's 70 sevens. So... Mm -hmm. It's a little confusing that it's saying weeks at times when it just means a period of seven. And yeah. this is also done in Revelation at times. So I'm not, I get, yeah, I get that it says weeks. I'm just saying like what it means is a period of seven. No, no, no. And in this case, it would be seven years. That's not what I'm stuck on. I'm stuck okay. on, we have from this word to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be. Built oh, again. okay. So it can't be Jesus. No, the first one's not Jesus. I thought okay. you meant the anointed one at the end after the 70 weeks. Who was the anointed one? Who's that first one? That's what I'm wondering too. An anointed one, a prince. What is your, does your Bible have a name in there? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's Nehemiah. No. It would would be Nehemiah, wouldn't it? Who rebuilt Jerusalem. Let's just, yeah, let's, let's say it's Nehemiah. And then, cause I, I thought Nehemiah was, cause he, he would have been, let's see, Ezra, Nehemiah. Oh, Ezra. Okay. Ezra is the one who takes up the original call from Cyrus and then Nehemiah comes. Okay. So Ezra would be the first first period of seven. And then mm-hmm. the second period of seven would have been started by Nehemiah who rebuilt Nehemiah. the. Yeah, I think. I think so. I don't think, sorry, I was misunderstanding you. The anointed one it talks about at the beginning is not Jesus. It's talking about yeah. taking the people back, which was Ezra, right? Taking the people back to Israel and then Nehemiah rebuilding. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. I get what you're saying now. Okay. Then for 62 weeks, which is the period between it being built and Antiochus. Yeah. But in a troubled time. Um, And after the 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who was to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Right. It's end shall come with a flood and to the end to the end. There shall be war. 
desolations are decreed. So I, Antiochus, they destroy the city in the sanctuary. And then, and to the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. That that one line is doing a lot of work over a lot of years. Yeah. Just war, 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 war. If the bowls being poured out that we talked about was it bowls? No, not bowls. What's the first one? Trumpets, scrolls, seals, seals. Thank you. Seals on the <clears throat> scroll. Close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nailed it. If, as we talked about on that one episode, where the seals are not something that just all happen like one after another right now, but they're like mm-hmm. a long period of time between the between Jesus' crucifixion and the end times. Yeah. Is that what it's talking about? Is war has been basically yeah, uh, never ending since war. Nero? I'm just trying to understand why Jesus isn't prophesied in this passage. Or he is at the just, end. And he shall make a strong covenant with the many for a week. And for half of the week, he no, shall that's put Antiochus. And yeah, to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Yeah, it ends with Antiochus, but we're not done because it goes into Daniel's done. vision of a man. <sighs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Also, really quickly, uh, Frida sent us this <laughs> meme. <laughs> this uh, a potentially offensive meme. <laughs> I like it. Since we're talking about Daniel, you got to have lines in there somewhere. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, so now we're on to Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's terrifying vision of a man. Okay, okay. All right, Daniel, come on. Give us a good one. In the third year, this is so cool because he named Cyrus. Yes. Cyrus is nowhere near to come. But Ezra shows Cyrus that he was prophesied. Mm-hmm. And, and this prophecy helps make the prophecy come true it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because it was prophesied it happens right yeah 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 okay in the third year of cyrus king of persia wait Mm, different cyrus never mind okay Okay. i get what you're Um, saying yeah i was confused sorry a word was revealed to daniel who was named belteshazzar and the word was true and it was a great conflict And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. Why is he always by a river or a canal or some He just likes likes standing stoically at the end of the edge of water and staring out in deep Uh, contemplation. Classic Daniel. Yeah. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves so I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in, in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, 
man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So Daniel prays, and the answer is sent, but Satan's forces hold back the answer for 21 days. Right. Yeah. And also, I think uh, this prince of Persia that it's talking about is not like an earthly prince. Right. Most people have read this to mean the the demonic influence, like this fallen angel that is presiding over Persia. Even even my note here says, prince of Persian kingdom, apparently a demon exercising influence over the Persian realm. Mm -hmm. Uh, His resistance was finally overcome by the archangel Michael, the great prince who protects the people of God. Okay. Yeah. Um, when he had spoken to me, according to these words, or, or he's a teenage boy with the ability to rewind time and do really cool, uh, like parkour. It's one or the other <laughs> as a video game reference. Prince okay. of Persia. It's a video game. <laughs> is that what Prince of Persia is about? <laughs> the, the video game. It's yeah, you're like this teenage prince of Persia who gains the sands of time in a dagger and you can like rewind time, but you're doing a lot of parkour (laughs) and fighting sand demons. Okay. I was going to say that sounds like way stupider of a plot than I thought, but you just purposely made it sound as dumb as possible. possible. The Prince of Persia games are actually pretty good. So was the movie any good? (laughs) I remember as good as good as a movie based on a video game usually can be. As far as movies based on video games, it's not bad. All right. I remember seeing the commercial and being like, this looks interesting, but I don't know if I would like it if I haven't played the game. Like, when I get <laughs> You don't it, have to play the know? game to get it. Okay. It's yeah, it changes things. It's pretty true to the, I don't want to say original because the original is like an NES game, but the original remake on GameCube, like that era of Prince of Persia games, it's kind of, it, I think from what I remember, it's yeah. fairly accurate to like the plot of that game. Alex says Jake Gyllenhaal starred in it. Sold. Yes. Sold. He says it was rather terrible. I don't remember. I remember seeing it a long time ago. And <laughs> and my, let me put it this way. My level for like what I expect out of a movie based on a video game is really low. So if it's at all entertaining, that's, that's basically good to me. Look, the Mario movie from 1994 is one of the greatest movies ever made. So it's hard to beat that, but you know, it was made in 2010. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. fine. I'm yeah, going to yeah. be comparing it to a 2020, you know, like it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm going to watch it. Um, <laughs> when he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon upon me and I retain no strength again incredible physical effect that the vision's having on him yeah I, I have to go back really quickly no you don't uh, because 
We have found the modern day version of Daniel, thanks to Frida, because mm. uh, Daniel's just living in a van <laughs> down by the river. <laughs> oh, my Thank goodness. you for that. Thank you. For, that's amazing. Anyway, sorry. Matt Foley, for people who are listening. Matt Foley, motivational speaker. Greatest SNL skit of all time. Okay. All right. Oh, are we? Are we quite finished? No. <laughs> Well, we mentioned him standing by rivers all the time. So free to, yeah, yeah, free to I, figure I, I got it. Okay. it. I, I got it. You're right, though. You were saying, <laughs> sorry, to get serious again. You were saying, like, these visions weigh heavily upon him and he, like, passes out. It's, like, physically taxing. There's a lot of physical, like, it, 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 there's not just one physical effect. It's just, like, he's mute <clears throat> and he's passing out and he's really having trouble standing up. Like, he, he's really incredibly physically affected in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay. Pains have come upon me. Like he's feeling a lot of physical distress over all of this. Um, And I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. He's like, I want to talk to you, but like how? It's like maybe turn down the majesty a little bit. So I am (laughs) not just completely drained and wiped out. Give me a break, dude. Yeah. Can you stop being so angelic for two <laughs> seconds? <laughs> Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh, man, wait a great- second. Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Is Daniel passing out and having like lost time because he's speaking to something from beyond our realm? Is this like a through line with like alien stories? It it does. Well, there's a physical effect and people like lose time. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I wasn't, I wasn't even joking. Like, I am actually wondering. Well, if, if we consider that these are the same, like, species of creature. Right. Just that some of them are evil and some of them aren't. Some of them are fallen and some of them aren't. Right. And, and there are going to be some similarities and some striking differences since they're using different types of magic, right? One side is using very dark inverted magic and one side is using deep magic from before the dawn of time. (laughs) <laughs> nice Aslan reference. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do not quote the deep magic to me, which <laughs> I was there when it was written. Okay. Um, strengthen me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me in the stories of like fairy encounters or alien encounters. They don't strengthen them with just a touch. They strengthen them with some kind of liquid ambrosia of the gods or fairy or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. So I, that seems to be another difference between the good guys and the bad guys. Right. Right. Don't drink the alien food. Don't eat the alien food. People. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah. Don't eat the fairy food. We have known this for hundreds of years. Come on. All right. And he said, Oh, man, greatly loved. Third time, he's telling him he's greatly loved. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. 
This is where it, people get the idea that Michael's the prince of Israel. Yes. And I think it's pretty explicit all right here. And I also yeah. find this funny because this is something that Christians will almost never talk about. That in Daniel, it is telling you that countries have a spirit or a God presiding mm-hmm. over them. Yep. You have the the prince of Persia, the the God of Persia, whatever, whoever they're worshiping. You know, Marduk would be like the God or prince of, of Babylon. Babylon. Uh, Greece. It just tells you right here. And then, and then it names, what do they, what do they have in common? They're, they're from the Elohim, the, the heavenly host, Mm -hmm. the angels. There's the ones who rebelled and they went and tried to lead nations. It's, I mean, it's so explicit in Genesis too, that the plan Mm -hmm. was for the heavenly host to be rulers of nations and principalities. And there was ones that rebelled against God and they're leading all of these, these countries. They're leading Germany during world war two. They're leading you know, Stalinist Russia, they're leading the the Persian empire. That's who they're worshiping and gaining their power from. And it's not to be sniffed at because right here, it's like I had to fight these powers for three weeks to get here. Is that why these are the parts of history that are important is because these are the parts of the history that are directed by some creature in the heavenly realms. The, yes, the, I absolutely think so. The empires, the 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 moments that an empire has tried to take over the world, that that has always been a deeply spiritual thing. Yeah, Base Babe has it right here. Kind of like how Michael Heiser talks about how these little G gods have dominion over places. Absolutely. I'm actually reading his book, Angels, right now, and it's very good stuff. I'm going to read Demons next. Uh, but he basically goes through everything we know in the Bible about the heavenly host, the Elohim, what the angels, what types there are mentioned in the Bible, whether it's seraphim or cherubim and what that means and, and all of that stuff. So it's, it's really good work. So I'm excited to continue that study. Yeah. Um, okay. 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 But again, like, I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to bring this point up again because people will make fun of the radical right wing, you know, uh, evangelical Christians who are saying stuff like, yeah, no, this nation is cursed. This nation is like serving demons. It's like, well, I go to church on Sundays, but that's a little far. Like, you know, I'm like, no, it's really not. Yeah. It's really, like really literally in the Bible. This last verse here, verse 21, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Dang. Is it is it really saying <clears throat> at this point that there are only two good archangels? If you look around the world, it kind of makes sense almost. It, it makes you wonder. I mean, it does say a third, like a third of the heavenly host. But is that third specifically the the people who are supposed to be rulers over nations? Did the power know. go to all of their heads? Um, cactus or the, in the yeah, chat. I don't know. Hi, Cactus. Just finished my first full day at Christian school, and there's a con-pilled Bible stream. Best day ever. Best yeah, day ever. I want to hear about your day. How did it go? That's awesome, Jess. I'm so happy for you. Jess has been through so much over the last year, mm-hmm. and to hear that you've got a job that is at a Christian school and that you like, I'm, I'm very excited for you, Jess. In verse 21, it, it's possible that there are more good archangels, but they're wrapped up with other things. And can't. That's what I'm wondering. Is it just saying there are no none who contend by my side in this battle? Yeah. Except for Michael. I think that'd be a way to read it. I want to see if there's any notes. That's yeah. Excuse me. Verse ten or t- chapter ten, verse and anything in twenty in up to ten that we haven't gotten through yet before we get into eleven. 
Because there's only two more chapters. We're going to finish this tonight. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It doesn't say. It doesn't have any notes on that. But I do okay. wonder. Yeah. It's. It makes me think because we're 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 living here in 2023, and I think it's easy to kind of dismiss all the things that have happened as just like that's all the past and it's all leading up to this future, but it almost seems like everything was leading up to Jesus. So mm-hmm. this is like the third act desperate place. Yeah. Where like everything's down and out and there's only a few good angels left fighting for anything. This is so interesting to me because if this is leading to the antichrist that leads to the first coming of Jesus, mm-hmm. I feel like this is so important to understand because this is what this is, going to be mirrored in so many ways in what revelation talks about in the second yeah. coming of Christ. Yeah. There's, and I, I don't think we look at it that way enough. Like I know this is going to be a, a, a dumb so, kind of sounding comparison right now, but I'm reading, I've talked to you about this book. I'm reading the red rising series. I just finished Lightbringer, which is the sixth book. And those books are split up by two. Well, it was going to be two trilogies, but the second one's going to be four books, but it's split up by like these two massive conflicts and it seems like there's this resolution at the end of the third book and then this time passes and then this whole other thing happens. And to me, this is like that. It's like even in scope and comparison, it's like it seems so big and so crazy in the first trilogy and you get to this culmination of, of the good guys essentially winning and then you have this like return to this war and this this massive conflict. And I, I just feel like that type of story is like maybe an interesting way to look at like how the Bible's talking about yeah. This. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There was I can't spoil it, but there's it's something else that's super Ah, never mind. <laughs> there's a book that was that had a big impact on me in high school and you can't really you can't get it anymore. It's out of print, but it's called When God Was Taken Captive and it makes yeah. the case that God does his best work when everything is completely lost. Like yeah. when the ark's taken captive, when Jesus is taken captive, yeah. all of these moments where it just seems like everything is lost and it seems like it's part of the the deep magic. It's part mm-hmm. of the um, God sacrificing himself, God letting himself be completely taken over so that he can work his, his biggest things. Right, right. Yeah. Um, this whole like completely inverted um, counterintuitive way that God works as opposed to how we think things should work with our fallen thinking. I just want to say this real quick. Jess, I had a thought that I want to share with you because you're the only other one who's finished this book. And so message me after this stream. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to spoil it because I'm still hoping you'll read them. But there is a there is a really apt comparison to this story. But I I, it spoil a huge part of the book. But yeah, he's just trying to get Okay, PJ doesn't just like recommend me a book. He recommends me entire like 15,000 book series that he's like, why haven't you read them yet? I know, I know. But because all my favorite stories are like life consuming stuff, (laughs) like Metal (laughs) Gear Solid and Monster Hunter and Red Rising. Like I love the stuff that you can just live in for years. Uh, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, I'll I'll catch up someday. (laughs) I just recommended you a shorter series. Only three books. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The last series you recommended me was like seven or eight books. So what what series was that? Oh, the last few. I mean, well, I because I hadn't read the uh, the you were just quoting it a second ago. Oh, yeah. Percy Jackson's like six books. Yeah, but that's it's like six 
books for middle schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst part about it is there are four middle schoolers. You're like, that's you should fair. read these. That's fair. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what else? What? Okay. All right. Yeah. She's too busy reading her daddy Dom gargoyle <laughs> romances to, to read good literature and fiction. I took PJ to Barnes and Noble <laughs> so he could experience your whoever owns the barnes and noble where you live like because i've been to the one here plenty of times yeah they They are obsessed with demonic smut yeah because they like put it like in your face in two parts of the store where they're like hey by the way in case you didn't see the demonic uh, (laughs) nephilim smut here's more demonic nephilim smut yeah oh man this is is facts yeah there's like a whole section to like sexy tarot and uh, it's weird. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> a lot going on in my uh, Barnes and Noble. That's why I like to keep it once a month or so, once every couple of months, I go check up on, check up on, <clears throat> and see what else is <laughs> taken by new. my alien bodyguard. <laughs> That's yeah. my favorite title. But the cover is like literally just a demon. It literally <laughs> like is a it's demon. Not even pretending to be an alien. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, chapter eleven. Are we ready? Let's do it. Let's go. Let's. You know what? We should probably talk about the Bible instead of demonic alien smut. So that's that's probably the way to go. What other Bible study do you get where you get to talk about demonic <laughs> Nephilim smut? I don't know. You tell me. Moving on. Uh, and as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show... Okay, this is still Gabriel talking. And as for me in the first year, I stood up to... Okay. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. So so now he's just talking to him plainly. He's not giving him like <clears throat> symbolic right. dreams anymore. He's just speaking plainly. And I, I, this is like the most specific with years and kings and nations and names prophecy, like in any part of the Bible. In Revelation, it says in the end times, your daughters will prophesy and your, your old men will have dream dreams or whatever. Yeah. I wonder if, because like, it's not that prophecy has completely gone away or people yeah. dreaming dreams or things like that. But I think we're seeing the same, again, if this is a mirror image of what's to come, in the second coming of Christ. Yeah. I think what we're seeing is it starts off way more like, ah, that was weird. There's like a cow and a tree and like yeah. a statue. And then it's just specific. like, all right, we're getting towards the end. Like, this is what's happening, idiot. Like, here yeah. you go. Like, I don't have time for you to like ponder on it and pray about it. Like, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think that one thing it just keeps saying is like, because Daniel is loved, and because he keeps praying, and because he it keeps trouble, he, he's not content to just... Like, it seems like every other prophet, every other prophet is content to just be like, okay, cool. I had a dream. You told me what it meant. I preached it. We're good. And half of them become so depressed. They want to kill themselves. Yeah. And Daniel's just like, (laughs) I'm going to drill down. I'm going to drill way down into this. I just want to know what it means. He even said in the last chapter, he's like, I I don't remember how he worded it, but he's like, my good demeanor, my like positive attitude was like wiped away when I saw this vision. And yeah. it's like that is the opposite of Jeremiah, who uh, my was <laughs> lovingly <laughs> referred to by one of my pastor friends as the bitching prophet, which I find <laughs> hilarious. <because laughs> he did write lamentations. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. 
He was sad. He had a good reason to be sad. For sure. For sure. It's just really like black pilled. <laughs> yeah, it is super black pilled. Um, but yeah, I, that's a good point of like right now we are sitting with a super vague prophecy. And I wonder if before too long we're going to, uh, we were told we, we, we think in terms of our Bible as being completely finished. And I think there's, there's that like curse be anyone who adds to this cur- like don't add or subtract from specifically the book of revelation. Let me just read that verse real quick. Just to not miss. Yeah, there's it. that. And then there's, <clears throat> um, what is it? The, I'm tr- having trouble. With I want to make sure I'm saying this right is why. Uh, where it says you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. A lot of people think that means don't say OMG. Uh, but I think a better interpretation that was believed until modern day America was don't say the Lord said things he didn't say. Right. Yeah. The whole like God told me to break up with you. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um, Do I need to ask about John? Or should I talk about <laughs> off stream? It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Okay. No. Um, Let's see. The verse is, I warn, it's, this is Revelation 22, 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Mm. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So it's very clear that it is specific to the book of Revelation. And, um, See, everything's fine with John. He's right here. He's giving me some mead. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nice homemade mead, which is good, by the way. Real. And he doesn't live in Canada. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Jess also gave us Deuteronomy 4, 2 and 12, 32. So really quick. I'll look that up real quick. But basically, those verses that I just read from the end of Revelation were kind of taught to me in terms of like this is how you know the bible is finished everything in the bible i was taught the the same way yeah i was taught the same way and i was like that actually doesn't make sense i don't think that that's that's true i think we're kind of sitting in the same place that daniel was where he had jeremiah he had at least up to jeremiah um and maybe that was it up to jeremiah and um he had no way of knowing there was going to be more but obviously there was a lot more um and we have a we have specific verses saying that our can you look up the ones that say, says your, your your young men will dream dreams your daughters will dream dreams and I'll look up yes yes okay, Deuteronomy twelve I used to be so good at sword drills you guys I won on them all I won them all and people hated me um, in the last day so this is uh, Acts wait Acts two seventeen. Mm. Oh, I was thinking it was in Revelation, but it's in Acts. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see mm. visions and your old men will dream dreams. Ooh. I feel stupid for having misquoted uh, where that came from. So now I'm going to memorize that. Um, the, the verse from Deuteronomy uh, 12, what, 32? Um, everything that I commanded... Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. So, yeah, there there are specific times where it's like, this is really important. You guys need to really make sure you don't mess this up. Uh, right. Deuteronomy 4.2. Was that was that a good or did you change it? Let's see. Deuteronomy 4.2. I didn't look it up yet. You shall not add to the word that I command you nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. 
Very cool. So that's specifically with regard to the law, the Torah, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Thank you, Jess. Um, Yeah. So I I think that maybe what we can say is we have right now, we have some more difficult to understand prophecies and it's very possible that we will start to see much more specific prophecies as the time gets. And a quickening, I think too, Mm. the way that it's kind of shown in Daniel where it's like, you know, early on in King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, it was like, here's something, you know, kind of uh, weird. (coughs) And then it's like specifically like, Hey, King of Persia, uh, this dude's going to come and kill you. So that's going to happen like soon. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Chapter 11. Uh, Wait. Think around verse five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then the King of the South shall be strong but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule and his authority shall be a great authority after some years. Okay. Two. This is Alexander couple, again, right? Mm, possibly. Yes, possibly. I think there, there are two purposes of prophecy and sometimes we think it's so that we know how to act. It's so that we can see what's coming and know how to act. And then, oh, it's yeah, go ahead. And then I think the, that's what we often think prophecy is for. And then there's, it's so that when it happens, you know that God did it. Mm-hmm. But I think that this prophecy we're in right, right now is like so specific as to be like, no, you need to pay attention. These things are really important. Like this is so you know how to act. This is so you can see what's coming and you, you know how to navigate it. Um, but a lot of what we're sitting with is just like, when you see these signs, know you can, understand that God did this. This this is coming from God. For sure. I want to make sure sh- I want to point this out too. It, it's not talking about Alexander. It's talking about uh Ptolemy of Egypt. Ptolemy. Ah, uh, interesting. Frida has a good question. Um she says, I have a Bible question, just a general one. Would you read Genesis or the Gospel of John first? Kyle and I have started reading it together and I'm sure I'm unsure. We're reading Genesis right now. I am the perfect person to ask this question to because I grew up in missions and we had this debate. Um, all the time. <laughs> um, maybe I'm not the perfect person, but I, I'm <laughs> just, I just take all that back and I'm just going to answer the question. I disagree with people who say you should read John first people. I think people will say you should read John first because it's the most explicit gospel of saying that Jesus was God. But there's a reason that Genesis comes first in the story. And when we, when the missions group that I was with, preach the gospel to tribes in Africa who had never, ever heard it before. We always started in Genesis Mm -hmm. because the foundation is so important to understanding what the gospel even means. I think that the only people you should recommend to read John first are people who have like grown up in the Catholic church and need to just like find their faith for themselves. But if you don't have the full foundation already, um, start in Genesis. It's people think of the Bible as like super duper long. It's not actually that long. You can get through it. You can get through it in a year. If you're only reading two to three chapters a day. Yeah. So it's not, it's, it's not 20, 20 minutes a day for a year. Yeah. And if you're reading it more extent, like I'll, I'll sit down and read a book that I want to read for, you know, hours and hours yeah. and hours at a time. So it's really not that long. If you read it like a normal book, you would read, you can finish it in like three weeks. Yeah. So, um, the Bible is roughly the same length as um, 
Why can't I think of it? As the Scientology Bible. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Uh, Battlefield Earth. It's roughly the same length in uh, as Battlefield Earth. Um, Freda, I sorry, I was a little unclear. I recommend reading the Bible in in order. So I I'm not saying read Genesis and then read John. I'm saying read Genesis and then Exodus and then Leviticus and then Numbers. And, you know. Um all the way, all the way through. And there are, you can look up if you're interested, um, you can look up a chronological Bible. Cause some I of the have way one that, of those. Yeah. I, I, you can just look up like a, a reading plan, a chronological reading plan. I've, I've gone through the Bible like that of just kind of putting it in order chronologically and it can, I don't know. I like how it's organized. I think it's organized a little bit more by genre. So you get some flashbacks and some like, oh, this is poetry that was happening during this time. I think it's easiest to just read it as it is laid out. But if you're interested in the chronological record, that's also fascinating. Yeah. Bible in a Year podcast is uh, I highly recommend it, actually. Yeah, it's good. Um, the only thing I would say different to, to what Abby said is that if you were, if you are talking to someone who has a Western understanding of mm. kind of what the story is and just doesn't know Jesus, um, I would actually recommend starting in Mark and then Ooh. John and then going back and reading through. Okay. Um, the reason I say that is because Mark is the comic book version of the gospels. Yes. I, this is my favorite comparison. <laughs> Mark is Mark. Mark is one of my favorites because it uses the word immediately like 48 times and it just goes like Jesus did this and then immediately he did this and then he did this. <laughs> and it's, it's so interesting. If you read it in that, with that in mind, it's the superhero comic book version. Uh, and it doesn't mean to say it's fantastical or not true, but it's just immediate. Yeah. It's just action, action, action. Here's what Jesus did. Here's this miracle. Here's this miracle. Here's this preaching. And it's so engaging to someone who's new to the Bible. Yes. And then John is very important afterwards because as Matthew, Mark and Luke are kind of a low Christology, mm-hmm. John is explicitly a high Christology. It starts off in the beginning. God was the word, you know, God was in the beginning. There was the word and the word was with God. And it just tells you right straight out front. Like Jesus is mm-hmm. fully God and fully man. It goes through all of that stuff. So I, that's kind of my recommendation to someone who has an understanding of what kind of Genesis is and, just needs to hear the gospel for the first time. Yeah. And then, cause I, I, it's not that you're wrong at all, but I feel like if you're trying to get somebody who engaged. already kind of knows it and just doesn't know what to believe yeah. or to get them engaged. Yes. Yeah, is the best way to put it. Uh, Mark John, and then just go through the gospel in order or, or as you said, chron- chronologically might be good for some people, but I don't disagree with you. Uh, yeah, I definitely, Mark is a really good place to start. Um, definitely. Yeah, I think that there are different when when you have missionaries going into a tribe and like where we worked, they didn't even go in until they were invited. So at this point, these people were like, tell us the gospel, tell us the gospel. Right, right. And so you had a captive audience who was just like. um, And I was speaking to someone who's not captive. Exactly. So. So, yeah, I think that those these are there are two answers. If you're committed to learning to learning about God, then I recommend every Christian start Agreed. in Genesis and get everything. But if, if, if you just want somebody to like get engaged um, and get a concept of it, Mark. And so for Freda, if you want to read Mark and then John, and then there's, there's no wrong answer. 
Right. <laughs> like, definitely. No, there is the a wrong answer. The wrong answer is starting in Leviticus. That is the wrong <laughs> answer. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Democrat TV says first time seeing y'all. Good stuff. Welcome in oh, Democrat man. TV. Glad to have you here. Very cool. These right. are. Yeah, we really enjoyed the Bible streams. This is not our normal content, but we have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, for sure. Where were we PJ? Uh, <laughs> let's just start with five again. Okay. I think. <laughs> then the king. Hang on. Yeah, this is talking about uh, Ptolemy of Egypt. Ptolemy, right, because it's because the kingdom being broken and divided to the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity is about Alexander. Right. Nor according to the authority with which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides things. Then the king of the South told me shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule and his authority shall be a great authority. Who's that? Oh, Ptolemy's son. Hold on. I've got the note here. Uh, one second. Come on, it PJ. would be Seleucus. Seleucus. Yeah, his own kingdom initially, Babylonia, to which he then added extensive territories both east and west. Seleucus. I'm probably saying that name wrong. So. A, no, no, no. I, I just I think it's a funny name. Yeah, yeah for sure. Ptolemy's a funny name too. <laughs> That's true. Um, after some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up in her attendance. He who fathered her and he who supported her in those times. Who's that? Let's see. <clears throat> daughter of the king of the south would be Berenice, daughter of Ptolemy II of Philadelphus of Egypt, king of the north. Uh, let's see. It goes on to say a treaty uh, cemented by marriage of Berenice to Antiochus. She will not retain her power and he will not last. Antiochus' former wife, Laodice, conspired to have Berenice and Antiochus put to death. Her oh. father, Berenice's father, Ptolemy, died at about the same time. So a lot of interregional politics in this part. Yeah. It's interesting that God saw this as important to... Mm -hmm. It's like it's like there were things happening on Earth, and I wonder now, like, is it true that every single thing that's prophesied as a physical thing that's happening on Earth is a is has a corollary to something important that's happening in heaven? I I think so. I mean, we're like already it. getting that idea in the end of Daniel chapter ten, where it's like, yeah, look, you guys are having your struggles down here, but like me and and uh, yeah. what is it, Michael? Me and Michael, me and Michael are, are holding up off. there, like literally <laughs> fighting like sky demons, so <laughs> for like three weeks, yeah, to give you a message. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and he's like, as soon as I'm done here, I'm going back <laughs> up to fight him again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and from a branch, from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter enter the fortress of the king of the north and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. How is Egypt the king of the north when Greece is south? Wait, wait say that again. Wh which verse do you want? I got lost. Sorry. Um, seven. Seven. I thought you said the king. Okay. The king the of the south of the is Egypt. Ptolemy. And from that branch. Oh, Ptolemy's from, Egypt. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Ptolemy's Egypt from the south. Yes. And the king of the north is Antiochus. Must be. 
And is that the Antiochus or a different Antiochus? Different one. Because huh. Antiochus the fourth would have been the one who uh, did the whole huh. Maccabean revolt thing. Okay, okay. So, and from a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place. Who is that? He comes against the army and enters the fortress of the king of the north. It would be uh, Bernice's brother, Ptolemy the third. Ooh. Okay. Who did away with Laodis and the king of the north, Seleucus II. Man, these names are hard. Of Syria. Yeah. So, yeah, Egypt and Syria is the two. It's, uh, south is Egypt, north is Syria. Yeah. That's what it's talking about. Tell Eby, yes, this part of Daniel is prophetic. <clears throat> this was proven to have been written before these things happened. Right. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of sil- silver and gold. And for some years he, he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. Is it, are there new names we should be aware of now? The king of the north that goes down to Egypt? Same thing. Okay. I believe, yeah. It's interesting. Sorry, a lot of names. <laughs> I didn't realize that Napoleon went down to Egypt too. You know what's funny? I, you know how sometimes, and this is actually why we do these streams that are a lot more chatty and a lot mm-hmm. less like research, is because sometimes we're trying to fill, like <clears throat> learn for ourselves and hopefully bring people along in that learning, but also understanding where our gaps of knowledge are. And yeah. I've realized over the last few months that one of my gaps in knowledge is Napoleon. Mm. And it keeps coming up over and over and over again. Like, hey, you really need to learn about this Napoleon dude. Um, so, yes, that is something I want to. If anybody has a recommendation of like a really good book, I've done some podcasts about Napoleon and I still feel just a little bit lost on who, you know, that whole part of history, I guess. Not entirely. I, have- I, I know more than the average person but I still don't feel like I fully grasp it. I have good news for you. Yeah. Remember how we keep talking about how um, things keep being brought into the public spotlight and through movies and Hollywood brings things into the cultural consciousness for particular reasons. I was getting ready to watch Oppenheimer and what Mm -hmm. comes up on my screen, but a preview for the a Napoleon, Napoleon movie. movie. Of course it is. Starring, <clears throat> starring Joaquin Phoenix. This literally keeps happening. Yep. Okay. Is specifically with us where we will have something we're talking about. And it's like, this is interesting. I feel like this is important. And then some major cultural thing. We'll talk yep. about it. So like, for instance, we had just covered some of the Anunnaki myth stuff. Yeah. And like a week later, the freaking Zelda game drops. Yeah. And the Zelda game is the Anunnaki myth explicitly Mm -hmm. like I've talked about this on another episode, but it's just like so in your face that I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of things keep happening like that. So now that the the fact that Napoleon keeps coming to my mind for the last few months and then it's like, they're doing a movie about this. They really want the public to be aware of something about the Napoleon myth and it happens in Marvel. Does it? No, you and me, not Napoleon, but you and me like, we'll talk about something. And then the next Marvel movie is like essentially about that. The thing that keeps getting me about Napoleon is there's a question mark whether his name was actually Apollyon. Yes. I, I, did I bring that up on an episode or did you, we talk about that off air? We talked about it and you were, and I was looking at the French and I was like, how the French ne- Apollyon. Yeah. Napoleon. Like, yeah. 
um, there there is like an abbreviate. It's called eliding. Yes, um, it's a way that they abbreviate and like flow their words into each other. But like you can find old articles Apollyon. that call him Apollyon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we gotta we gotta get more into that. But for sure, it, the the scene that struck me in the preview was him at the pyramids, and I was like, wait, what? What? Napoleon. I didn't know pyramids. that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I again. Yeah. I, Napoleon is a, a bit of a, a historical blind spot for me. Yeah. Okay. Let's Zelda see, is let's what? See. Sorry, really quick, because somebody asked about Zelda. The new Zelda game, Tears of the Kingdom, starts off with you going underground, finding hieroglyphs, then finding a resurrection chamber where the body of Ganon is literally being resurrected, and then the sky beings come down, and you find out that the world had this like old world tech. And it was given to the old world because an alien came down literally from the sky islands and had sex with a human woman and created an empire on earth. It is Anunnaki like through and that's like the short version. I'm like 20 hours into the game at this point because I'm like so (laughs) curious on like what other stuff is in there. And the more I play, the more I'm like, oh, this is Gilgamesh. This is the Anunnaki. This is this myth. It's it's so explicit. It's not even like it's not. Oh, it's a little bit like it or it's kind of maybe referencing this. It's like explicit. Like in yeah. every in every single way, man. You and Jack should stream that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah we should. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. All right, all right. Get back on track. Oh my yeah. gosh. Um. Okay. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. Last note on this: Egypt has featured prominently throughout the Bible. Like there's so many, so many instances of Egypt being part of the story. Even Jesus goes down to Egypt and hides for a couple years when, when Herod's trying to kill him. Right. It just, it's, it's interesting. Okay. His sons shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep commanding and overflow and pass through and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north, and he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. Who are we talking about now? Sorry, I was literally trying to find where we were at. Um, We're talking about the slaughter of many thousands. The Greek historian... Polybius records that Antiochus lost nearly 10,000 infantrymen at Raphia. Wow. Okay. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first. And after some years, he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times, many shall rise against the king of the south. Is this still Ptolemy? Yes. Okay. And the violence. It even says again here as a reminder, this is the king of the south. This is Ptolemy versus Epiphanius from okay. 203 to 181 BC. I remember studying this in college history class, but I didn't know it was so important. Okay. In those times, many shall rise against the king of the south and the violence among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city. And the forces of the south shall not stand or even his best troops for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills and none shall stand before him and he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. 
He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them. But a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Can I just say what a crime it is that in all of the years and years of me growing up in church and being in sermon after sermon after sermon, not once did a preacher preach to me how there's chapters and chapters of fulfilled prophecy like this. That's right. So interesting. How, right. how dare they? I agree. I agree. You know, I'm realizing more and more that my gaps in knowledge in the Bible just come from the fact, not that it's not interesting, but that it's just the same, like few messages over and over and over again. I'm like, I, I, we talked about this off air before, but I'm like, if, if pastors would learn from podcasters and be like, here's a section of the Bible that I'm just going to like deep dive on and just like present it in the same way that we do with like a conspiracy theory in an hour or two. I feel like we would have such a greater understanding of the Bible. I get so mad about this and I want to be, I want to be clear that like I have, I have some issues with church that are like, you could argue that it's just emotional and I should get over it or whatever. But I read the Bible and I've read it so many times and I've, and I've heard so many sermons and there are so many questions. I have so many questions that I'm desperate to talk to people about. And I'm so thankful when I find somebody who's willing to talk about them and like talk about it on this level, which doesn't seem like a particularly deep level. I don't, I don't feel like I'm like, I just need somebody to get on my life. It doesn't seem like a hard level to get on. Right. Yeah. But like no one's here. How is no one reading the Bible and asking the obvious questions and then willing to talk about it? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that's why, that's why we come to these streams just wanting to read it and ask the obvious questions about it and discuss the obvious things about it. Cause like no one's doing that. It seems like every pastor just wants to take a chapter and then shoehorn in whatever he wants to talk about, about like self-help or self-actualization or like how wives and husbands should treat each other or families or whatever simple surface level. Well, like, when you read the Bible, issue. like a self-help book, you're, you're stuck to sticking you, you yeah. necessarily have to stick to a few passages and a few ideas yeah. and you're missing the greater context everything. and everything else. And the yeah. Bible's not a self-help book. It, it really like Daniel is so vast with the history. I just, I want to get a pastor who like actually cares about what God said and why he said it. Church should be in part a history lesson. Yeah. Because you can't understand so much of the Bible without understanding parts of history. My my first semester in college, I did a class called uh, the historical Jesus or something like that. And instead of just reading through the gospels and being like, here's a nice thing to feel. And here's a nice message. It was literally like, here's the, here's the geography of, of Jesus's time. And here's where he walked. And here's why this is important. And this is what a, a threshing floor is, and this is what a, a wine skin is. And it's like understanding all of the historical context yeah. you need just to read the four gospels. Yeah. That was so much 
more helpful than any sermon I've ever. And I know it's a college yeah. level thing, but why does it have to be college? It shouldn't. It shouldn't be like right. J- Jess says. So actually, my mom and I were talking about this earlier. Could it be that s- that sermons are meant for visitors, for the people who are walking in the door for the first time and need to hear the gospel? I hear you, but picture this: a visitor walks in, and the pastor's preaching on these passages, and he's saying, "Look." Here's the proof that this was written before it happened. And then here's the prophecy. And then here's what happened. Is, is there a better argument for the validity of scripture than that? Like it's so, it's so freaking clear. Some of our biggest episodes have been ones where we're building on something we talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. And people were so intrigued by this depth of knowledge that, that came from, from this stuff that they didn't have context walking into. Right. That they subscribed and went back and watched those episodes. I don't know why church. I'm not trying to like compare church to podcasting, but I do find it interesting that there is. I feel like I can get more out of an hour of somebody deep diving on a subject, whatever mm-hmm. it wants to, whatever it is. That is any subject now. Podcasting is everywhere. It's huge, right? And and I feel like I'm not trying to. A lot of churches, it's the same message over and over. Yeah. I, I shouldn't be this. I should be so much more versed in, in the Bible after 30 years of going to church than I am. That's, that's my point. Yeah. I think that I am not remotely arguing that church should be inaccessible, that church should be so intellectual and deep that it should be inaccessible to someone who's never heard it. I absolutely think that it should be preached. The preaching should be such that anyone could walk in at any time and pick up 75% of what's being said and then be intrigued by the rest. And I don't think that there's any problem. When I was a freshman in college, I, my favorite people to hang up with were the seniors and they would talk way above my head. And I didn't pick up like I picked up maybe 60% of what they were saying. And the rest was like, Oh my gosh, you're so smart. (laughs) But, but there's an intrigue to like, I want to know, I want to get there. I want to ask questions. And, and we've just dumbed, church is just dumbed down so much that like even the visitor doesn't know what it's about because the pastor doesn't know what it's about because it's so dumbed down that there's no foundation anymore. Base babe asks a good question. She says genuinely asking what do individuals who are deeper or want to look deeper do this? This, this is also a problem that could be put on the feet of people who go to church is that I feel like some of the best church experiences that I had were not on Sundays. They were on Wednesday nights or they were on Thursday nights or whenever we met up to like deep dive. So like I remember uh, when I was, when I used to teach Sunday school, I would do a Sunday school lesson and I'd go to church and I felt like sometimes the Sunday school lessons were a little bit more in depth on like, like the way that we're talking about. And then I would go on Thursday nights to a men's Bible study and we would go th- at the time we were going through judges and we went through every chapter week after week after week. And we just really, I feel like I understood judges and Mark more out of those Sunday school classes and out of the what, Thursday night Bible men's Bible teaching than I got out of, you know, 10 years of going to a Sunday sermon. Mm-hmm. So part of it is that we just need to be doing more outside of the Sunday sermon. So if, if Jess is right and that Sunday sermons are for people who are just coming to church for the first time, it can't end there. There has to be more than uh, a, a welcome in message. And I don't think that Sunday has to be relegated to just welcoming in new people. I think there's plenty of ways to, to do more and intrigue people. But anyway, I just started paying attention to the YouTube chat. Cause like there was no one for a while. And, oh, okay. <laughs> and then, um, 
Ash is heartless is like I accidentally thumbs down your stream. <laughs> He's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> How dare you? Canceled. How dare super, you? <laughs> super canceled. Um, yeah, we have. Don't worry. We're pretty sure there's like one person who thumbs down every single stream we ever do. So we're just glad you're not that guy. And then Shelby was like reacting to a bunch of stuff we said and then was like oh i just realized i'm 39 minutes behind so i apologize for my randomness i, I apologize so i will just say this we don't pay attention to the youtube chat much just because we've kind of shifted our focus on rumble so i just don't notice the youtube chat a lot um and in the future we won't be doing like most of our stuff on youtube so if you get a chance come over to rumble i'll see your stuff more quickly uh, but i will try to check especially on these bible streams i'll try to check the the YouTube chat more often than I do. <laughs> uh, I just got so many things on my screen yeah. at one time. Cactus made a good point over on Rumble. I think the key to remember is what works for you doesn't work for everyone. I really learned that last last week when I was studying the brain. So many people do not process their thoughts and cannot. Some I think the comment cut off, but yeah, the point point taken as far as like sometimes we're like this is so obvious to me. Why why can't you just why can't the world just work for me? And you're right, right. that people are people are different but it does feel like there's something so at least in the churches that i have been trying and going to for the past like 10 years is like can you just talk about like one important thing once a month please but yeah and maybe and maybe this is a thing we, so for instance with we'll get back to the reading in a minute yeah but, we will we promise <laughs> we promise but <laughs> One of the things we've talked about that's been so true in my life is when you see a problem, we're always looking at like, why doesn't this person do this? Why doesn't this person do this? Sometimes it, you have to do it. Yes. And I think that that's the answer to a lot of this is like, we're kind of trying to fill that in a little bit here. We're not as knowledgeable on things as, as you know, a pastor would, would be with however many years of school they're doing, but there's a gap in like this type of conversation. And I think that that's just the thing is like, if you're not getting enough on Sunday, you need to start a, a Bible study or mm. be involved in one. And I think that some of the complaining too. are good, honest complaints. I'm not saying they shouldn't, nothing should be done about it. The church should continue to go on the kind of dead end path that it's been on yeah. where it's become kind of, as we've seen very publicly in the last few years, just a place of self love, yeah. uh, new age bullshit. But that doesn't mean that you can't do anything about it. So it's a good point. And that kind of circles right back to what PJ and I were talking about, how this show came to be of how we barely knew each other, but we like almost immediately after beginning to talk knew that the show needed to happen was because we were both thinking the same thing of like, I really wish that this show existed and that somebody would just do this show. At least that was for me. I was like, I wish I could find a podcast that does this stuff that talks about the Bible, but also aliens and cryptids and all of this stuff. And so when I found somebody who was like, I used to, I used to do that. I wish I could just find another co-host to do it again. That's literally how it started. Yeah. I volunteer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I had the idea for what is now conspiracy pill back in 2016. So I, I, years and years and years wanted to create this show. And then I created something that wasn't quite what I wanted to do. And it just was on my heart and mind and in my dreams and in my prayers for weeks before I met Abby. I mean, we knew each other through Twitter, but like not really like I kind of knew who you were, but not really. Yeah. 
And I was just like it so much so that when we finally got to talk after the show, it was like, yeah, I don't know. I just really want to do this conspiracy thing again. And I just feel like, you know, yeah. that's something I want to do. And then the next morning, Abby's like, texts me like we should we should do this. <laughs> we should do it. <laughs> if you don't think I'm too weird, we should definitely do it. <laughs> I know that's basically what you said to me. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't think I'm a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah. like, no, I do think you're a weirdo. That's why it'll be perfect. That's why I want to do it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> true, true so. story true story everybody that's how <laughs> all right we got to get back to this yeah where were we okay i think 22 22 mm, gonna go back to 20 let's start at the beginning of this paragraph okay then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom but within a few this is so specific it's so specific. It's so specific. It's not like we nor we prophecy is not normally this specific. Um, but within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. Who's that? It's another history lesson, uh, so I'll go through it quickly. But <clears throat> it's talking about successor Seleucus for Philopater. I cannot pronounce these names, guys. Son and successor of Antiochus the Great. Uh, he was a tax collector. Seleucus final minister. Hello, Heliodorus. Heliodorus. Man, these names uh, was the victim of a cons- Seleucus was a victim of a conspiracy engineered by Heliodorus. So it's just little history lesson. So are they kind of abbreviate and I'm yeah. trying to like make it a sentence, <laughs> but yeah, you can, again, you can go through them with a good study Bible, find out like, what are these names? And if I'm interested in this part of history, I can look up these names in this part of history. And it's really explicit. That's why I always recommend this Bible that I have. If anybody wants to know what it is, I'll send you a, a link to it, but it's just an NIV study Bible from Zondervan. It's like a college level study Bible. So it's got lots and lots of notes and lots and lots of uh, historical context and things kind of added in there. If you're curious about stuff, it's, it's helped me a lot. Solid. I wonder there is a profess history professor at the school I went to. I wonder if we could get him to come on the show and talk about this. Cause I feel, I feel like he would be amazing. Who is this again? A professor at the at the college I went to, um, a Western civilization professor. Okay. I bet I bet I bet we could get him. Um, we had to have to design a show for him. Anyway, armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for time. Is this Antiochus now? Uh, sorry, this is still Seleucus Four. Okay, okay. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand for plots shall be devised against him. And that's Heliodopolis. Conspired to kill him. I can't say these names, dude. <laughs> um, even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be Heliodorus. 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 
There we go. I recognize that name now from yeah, yeah. from the class that I professor it that I correct. want to get on the street. Yeah. <laughs> His army shall be swept away and many shall fall down slain. I promise I passed that class, but I don't remember <laughs> anything. <laughs> Um, and as for the two kings, their heart shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the burnt, the regular burnt offerings and they shall set up the abomin and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. So this is Antiochus. Yeah, this now. is Antiochus. Yeah, yeah. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. The Maccabees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still waits the appointed time and the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God, every God, every little G God. Mm-hmm. So Antiochus set himself up over even the pantheons. Yes. And it's, it said that earlier too. Yeah. In like chapter nine that he would yeah. do that. And shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the gods of fortresses instead of these. I'm sorry. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. So he, he is serving somebody but it's just not the ones the one that his ancestors worshiped. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My husband in the chat says PJ with bible names is like Abby with technology. <laughs> fair. Uh, fair, so, fair, fair, fair. So true. Um he shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. Can you find out what God Antiochus worshipped? I was trying to find that. There's not a note here, but I will, I'll start Googling it while you're okay, talking. Okay. Google is so bad for finding the truth in some ways, but when you want to find out like stuff about the gods, oh, it is so helpful. <laughs> Weird. Let's see, let's see. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall live with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the, of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships 
and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Here's, I think I might've found it. Freitas is Zeus. <clears throat> he did worship Zeus, but there's also, uh, hold on. It says he contributed money to the temple of Zeus at Athens and the altar at Del, uh, Delos, but all his Western militants. So basically some of this stuff is talking about how he created his own cult that worshiped Zeus and something else, but it's buried in a lot of stuff. So I'm trying to find it. Wow. So. It's not like a simple Google where it just tells you. Got to kind of got to sort through a whole lot of stuff. But it sounds like he created his own secret society. I don't know. I'm gonna have oh, to look into this guy. All more. right. I'm gonna have to look into this guy more. Yeah. Antiochus and Napoleon. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Ah. This okay. This episode with my professor, if I if we can get him, will be really really good. I think. Okay, chapter twelve. Are we ready? Uh, yeah. Let me just scroll down to it. He's just like I don't know if I'm ready. Go this ahead. Is the go last ahead, go chapter ahead. in Daniel. Okay, show of hands in the chat. If you grew up in church, do you remember these chapters? Do you remember them at all? Because I've, I've read the Bible. I, I lost count around five readings. So I, I'm between like five and seven readings of the Bible. I do not remember these passages. I've read them a f- a several times. I don't remember them. By the way, really quickly, we've talked about the desolation of abomination a few times. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to read this account of what that exactly is for people who are curious. All right. Um. So it says, let's see. Antiochus issued decrees forbidding many traditional Jewish practices and began a campaign of persecution against devout Jews. Swine were strictly unclean to Jews, but uh, Diodorus wrote, Antiochus sacrificed a great swine at the image of Moses and at the altar of God that he stood in the outward court and sprinkled them with the blood of the sacrifice. He commanded likewise that the books by which they were taught to hate all other nations should be sprinkled with the blood or should be sprinkled with both the male and of the swine's flesh, and he put out the lamp called by them immortal, which burns continually in the temple. Lastly, he forced the high priest and other Jews to eat the swine's flesh. So this is describing wow. uh, a magic ritual that he did in the temple of, uh, in the Holy of Holies. When I was taught about this, Solomon's it was temple. just, it was just, he killed a pig in the Holy of Holies. Like, no, it, it's way worse than that. Yeah. Like he did a whole wow. ritual, sprinkled blood on certain things, forced the priest to eat swine, wow. uh, which the partaking of flesh and blood is uh, commonplace in, in um, satanic rituals. And specifically wow. when it's like the Jews are forbidden from both of those things, from the, t- the drinking of blood and the eating of swine. Yeah. This is a deeply evil magic ritual that he's doing. Wow. Uh, possibly to Zeus, but I need to keep looking into that. Okay. It seems like it couldn't have been exactly Zeus if it's saying he worshiped a God not of his fathers because wouldn't he have been Greek? 
Well, so, no, not. <sighs> hmm. Is he introducing Zeus worship? Is is he the? Is he patient zero? No. Okay. No, because his his dad was Antiochus the Great, and he was way mm-hmm. after the the rise of Greece and all Interesting. that. Interesting. Okay. Sorry, he would have been. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's continue. Okay. Okay. Chapter twelve. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Okay, that's explicit. It's he's, explicit he's, again. He's the prince of Israel. Never okay. taught this, by the way. Like these are things that I just wish that would have been taught. Yeah. Anyway. I was like barely taught it. Just Michael's the prince of Israel. Have fun. <laughs> okay. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Hold on. And so this is what you just read. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until that time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Mm. Was there something in there that you wanted to touch on? Okay, so we're done with a specific prophecy about Antiochus. And then it's just basically doing a vague prophecy about everything else that's coming, right? Yeah, by the way, Democrat TV says, God eat, God bless, and good night, y'all. Praise Christ for life. Have a great night, Democrat TV. I'm glad you found us, and I hope you return in the future. Yeah. Have a good one. Have a good dinner. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Israel shall be delivered. Mm-hmm. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So not all of Israel, but Israel who believes who's found written in the book. I mean, Jesus isn't here yet, but it seems like those who trust in God for salvation, right? Right. Yeah. And many of those who sleep in the, and many, not all, many, this is what I got stuck on. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Why not all? I don't know. Or is it saying all that many will awake to this and the rest will awake to that? No. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake comma. Yeah. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So some just never wake, which, which, okay. They're not real. (laughs) I I don't think there's a, (laughs) we're going to, we're going to bring this up in an episode sometime, but he, the idea is that there are some people who are just filler people. They're just, <clears throat> they're not, they don't have souls. They're just fillers in the story. It, it, you know how the Calvinists say that like, you know, there are, they, they take that passage where 
NPCs. Yeah, NPCs, yeah, non-player yeah. characters. Calvinists will say, they'll, they'll take verses that are about like, well, God can create some objects for destruction and some for know, vessels yeah, yeah. for... What if, the Cal- what if the Calvinists are more right than we think and also we're right as well? That the, What if the Calvinists are right that there are some people who cannot be saved because they are not real. <laughs> okay. Legitimately, I was I was sending you stuff about this concept on TikTok like last night. So I, I feel like we need to put a pin in this and save okay. this for an episode because I want to cover the NPC thing as like a full episode. We have to. Oh, really quick. This is a good question from Base Babe that I can answer. So it says, is this misapplication of the scripture why some people think the dead individuals turn into angels, quote, God need another angel kind of thing? Mm. No. I can tell you where that comes from because uh, Real Truth Cactus kind of gets it. She says it could be a misapplication of Catholic iconography and the idea of saints. I think the iconography of saints, the idea that men can become gods, it has the same root, but the spe- the explicit mention of humans becoming angels is actually from the Gnostic texts. Yeah. So people are wondering where that comes from. You could blame the Catholics to some degree for in some ways carrying some of the weird shit from Gnosticism into the church uh, and carrying other things from other religions like like the idea of halos, which is Egyptian sun discs and stuff like that, that when they let everybody in and let them bring their culture in, it did shift certain ideas. This is why I'm obsessed with going back to like pre when all of the other religions brought their own weird stuff mm. in. And then we've just kind of accepted it through 2000 years of of uh, tradition into being fact. But no, the, the idea of people becoming angels is explicitly a Gnostic idea. The idea of a human ascending to be a God, a little G God, which is the same as ascending to be an angel. Um, I mean, Ezekiel talks about it. God is like, you thought that you could be a God. No, y- you original, said it in your heart to be a God. No, it's the original sin too. It's so you can be as God. Yeah. It's it's not it's what Nimrod bad. did. It's what the Tower of Babel was about. It it's repeated, and it even says here in Daniel that Antiochus tried to make himself a god. Yeah, so. that was the whole point of this whole ritual, right? Yes, yes. And he got real close, didn't he? He did. Yeah, as close as anybody ever did. Um. Okay. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Okay. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky. And those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars. Okay. Got it. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. How else would you describe the age of the internet but knowledge increasing? Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I agree. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. It's always water with Daniel. Because Daniel's living in a van (laughs) down by the river. (laughs) Okay. That That was pretty good. And yeah. someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever 
that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Three and, and a half years, by the way, would be the general understanding mm. of that. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So th- there's a couple things. He doesn't just say it's going to be this amount of time. He raises his hands and he swears and swore by him who lives forever. He swears by God. He swears by God and he gets this exactly right. Antiochus served less than four years. He was three and a half years, timed times and half a time. Which he's is like, it's which, gonna be really bad. Which if he's the first antichrist before the coming of mm-hmm. Jesus, and this is also mirrored in Revelation that the the antichrist will come and serve for time, times and half a time. It it's 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 like God's like, look, it's gonna look like I failed you. Right. This is I think this is why the prophecy is so specific. He's like, look. This is going to happen, and then 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 it's going to be so dark, you're going to think I was completely defeated. But I told you this was coming because I'm God, and I haven't lost. I think this is the purpose of this, that the, the prophecy is this specific because he knew this is how much specificity his people would need to hang on to hope. Yeah. Yeah. And as we talk about things like this whole concept of things like blue beam and stuff like that, where it's like you like people could be really deceived to think the whole world is fake and all religion is fake with with aliens has been kind of the talk is that you hear one side saying, well, you don't want aliens to be real or not demons or whatever, because then your religion is false. And I'm like, "Ah, no, I don't think so. But I do see that that be that would be a rationalization for for many, many, many people. So I do, I do constantly worry about this end times deception because I feel like it'll be so hard for people who are not truly rooted in the faith to continue. Things, things are going to be told to us and shown to us that are going to make us doubt the existence of our reality in, in whole, I think. Um, I think around eight. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Is that the shattering of the power of Israel? When the shattering of the power of Israel comes to an end. Shattering of the power of the holy people. Well, we had a new covenant. Oh. The end of this. The shattering of the power of Christians. Well, no, this would have been pre-Christians, right? This is talking about still about Antiochus and and Jesus coming. Then Israel, right? right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Of Israel comes to an end when the what verse of, is this eight. This is this is just seven into eight. So seven seven is the one that, that this line is in that I'm just okay. a little bit stuck on. Um, the power of the holy people comes to an end. All these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. This is the theme of Daniel. He's like, I, I heard, but I, I heard you. I'm yeah. trying. I don't get it. <laughs> Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel. (laughs) He's like, Daniel, let it go. (laughs) For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away 
and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. All right, so um, let me see. Apparently representing, so this is talking about 11 and 12, which you just read. Mm -hmm. It says, apparently representing either the further calculations relating to the persecution by Antiochus Epiphanes uh, or further end time calculations. So this could be about either one because that's the thing that seems to be kind of throughout this is it's showing what's about to happen and how it mirrors the the second coming as well, I think. At least that's my take on it. And that seems to be a lot of people's take on it. It's like, which one is he talking about here? But it could both, it very right? well. Yeah, both. I think it's both. And I think that we we see the pattern. At this point in history, we've gotten to watch how God works long enough to know that he does this thing where he he's like, I, I'm going to do it here, and I'm going to do it here the same but more. And then I'm going to do it here the same, but even more. Right. So I think that when when we see it, it'll be the same as as Antiochus, but more. And we'll recognize it because it'll be a, a rhyming. History will well, rhyme. It's just like we talked about with Alan is that if you read Matthew 24 and 25, it really does say it's going to come for people who are not mm-hmm. paying attention. It's mm-hmm. going to come like a thief in the night. Right. And that was another thing that was I feel like my entire life just read to me wrong. Right. When the context is right there. Right. It's right there. That's like, no, you, you, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. You'll know by these signs. But if you're not paying attention, it'll come like right. a thief in the night. Like all the context is there to say, no, you're not right. going to be like shocked by this unless you're not, unless you're asleep, unless you're not I, paying attention. Yeah. Because the thie- he's coming as a thief to the owner of the house. Not to you. And it literally says, how do you stop this? You, you're, you're on guard. You're prepared. It doesn't have to happen to you where you're not prepared. Right. You could be like the virgins with the lamp oil. Right. I'll yeah. be right back. Keep talking she to will be right back. All right. Let me see. So I see some, some things in the chat here. Whiskey Biz asks a, a really big question that gets asked a lot. And I want to get Abby's take on this because it's one of those kind of major philosophical questions. If God can uh, see all things coming, why doesn't he stop it from happening? I, I've i said before I'm not a Calvinist, so <laughs> I feel like the kind of hard answer with all of the, the pain and suffering of the world, and this is kind of a truncated, small, single way to look at it, right, is that I don't, I don't think that Anything has any meaning that we have meaning that love has any meaning if there's not free will, if there's not choice in it, right? So I, I feel like we're seeing this and maybe we can kind of understand God to some small degree in what we're seeing with, with AI right now. People's, lo- uh, dead, people's loved ones are dying and they're trying to replace them with literally applications that create an AI intelligence that's supposed to mirror and mimic their dead loved one, but it's not real. It doesn't have life to it. It doesn't have choice. It it loves you in a way that it's told to, right? And I just, I don't see us as automatons 
being what God wants and desires for us and for his heavenly host, even as we've seen that, that many of them rebelled against him. So the idea that this pain and suffering could all be spared from us would literally have to come from a God who's just playing a, a game with chess pieces that he entirely controls in every single way. And I just, I don't see that idea of automatons, human automatons. Like, I don't think you would actually want that. I don't think God wants that. Um, do you get what I'm saying? So he asked why, why does, if God can see things coming, why doesn't he stop it from happening? Mm. And I was just kind of giving my take that free will is that important that you're, you're deciding to love God. You're deciding to do the right thing is more important than being forced to like being forced to it's, it's just lifeless and dead and meaningless kind of the way that people talking to, to AI is lifeless and dead. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. And there's, there's three things here that are important. One, Free will is important. That that he wants us to choose him. He wants us to Right. He wants to be human. He doesn't want us to be puppets or whatever. Two is that from our perspective, we're like, this horrible thing. How could how could you? How could you? And and but aren't there things in your own life that you look back on and you're like, wow, that was really worth it. At the in the moment. When I was in it, I was like, what the fuck? We literally gave an example on the show, two examples on the show tonight. Yeah. This, this whole thing, which I think has been a blessing to both our lives and hopefully to our viewers wouldn't have come about if you didn't like literally get screwed over and lose an account of 20,000 followers on on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And that was hard for you. Yeah. Um, And it's it's a small example, but it's one of those things where it's like, God, why are you letting these things happen to me? I worked so hard for this. This sucks. And it's like, I have something better for you, but you have yeah. like, you don't, you're it, it, real truth. Cax is here. God sees the long game and we don't. Yeah. And his ways are not our ways. So that's the second one is like, there are things, there are bad things that happen that feel awful at the time, but they are absolutely necessary for the long game. And there are things in my life where I, they were awful at the time, but I can see now what the point of them was, or I can start to see now what the point of them was. And then three, God is able to, God knows that at the end of all this, not only can he make, it's not that it, it's not just that heaven is so good that it's going to be worth it, but that he is so far out of time that he can just at the end, make it all come untrue. He can unpick all of it so that it, it literally doesn't matter how bad it gets. Right. He can just completely turn it backwards. So uh, that's what I come, cause I've been thinking about this a lot lately with like watching sound of freedom and, and dealing with the, just the fact of the child sex trade. And it's, it's all of those things, right? It's that God said, you guys get to do what you want. And you, one of the things I think that, we as humans need in order to see our need of God is to see how desperately evil we are capable of being. Right. Um, yeah. And that means that people are going to be deeply, deeply hurt. There, there's, there's no coincidence why God is known as the father. I, I feel yeah. like I understand the Bible yes. so much better being a father myself and looking at like how, even with suffering, it's like you mm. think of this, you think of suffering in the earthly human realm. And we know there's greater reward and greater suffering in the afterlife for the enemies of God and, and stuff like that. And I'm looking at yeah. my kids going like, dad, I had to sit here for a half an hour with nothing to do. It was the worst. My life is awful. It's hard. I'm like, you don't know suffering. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, there's a, 
there's so many lessons to be learned from from the just the idea of God being a father. Yeah. Uh, another one would just be, oh, man, I'm sorry, I just have so many thoughts that just came to my head. Well, going back to your question earlier about like you know why does God allow bad things to happen? I feel like I as a father have had to learn to let bad things happen to my children at times mm-hmm. for them to learn and for them to grow. And because my children can rebel against me and be pains in the butt and all that stuff. There's something different about hugging a child who loves you than hugging a doll. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. hugging a, a, a machine. It's just not, it's not the same. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's so many, I, I, the Bible doesn't call God by certain names for no reason. They're not just like cool placeholders. Um, there's something to be learned about God by his title. Actually, that's one great way to just read the Bible. You can learn something about everybody in the Bible by their title. Hmm. And and that's why the footnotes are good. Like even in this story of Daniel, the name, the names of them, their Hebrew names mean something. And then the names that Nebuchadnezzar gives them means something else. Yeah. And with Daniel, I'm trying to remember because it's going to be butchered, but it basically meant like servant of God or something like that. And then his his name that was given to him by Nebuchadnezzar meant the one who protects the king. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's he, he's trying to change Daniel's whole purpose in life mm-hmm. and saying, you don't serve your God, you serve me. And those names are important. Yeah. I think another answer to this, and it's I've kind of already said it, but there was a book I read when I was like 13. I was really struggling. I'd been, I'd already been through a lot and I think I was just, I remember saying I'm just under this dark cloud and I have been for a year. I, it was just a really dark time in my life. And um, somebody gave me this book. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but it basically made this argument. It was like, look, you think pain is a bad thing, but look at people who don't feel pain. So there's leprosy is a condition where your all your pain sensors are gone. Um, I didn't know that the pain sensors were gone in leprosy. Yeah, there's been different definitions of leprosy through history. There's I, a, I a did bit know of a that. broader definition yeah. in the Old Testament, but as it is defined today, leprosy, you lose your pain sensors. So people who have leprosy, they can put their hand, they can accidentally put their hand right in a fire and not know it. Yeah, that would be and awful. So they, they, yeah, it's deeply awful. They don't feel any pain, but they are going through life constantly, deeply wounding themselves and wounds that continually like fester and things like this because they they can't tell what when something's going wrong i have a sister-in-law with scoliosis and she can't move her legs very well can't feel them okay and because of that she'll get sores yeah and things like that and they can become deeply infected and if somebody's not checking and helping her uh because she doesn't feel it she doesn't know that that her legs are rotting at times it's really awful stuff. It's yeah. really, really awful stuff. But the pain would be preferable to the lack, the right. lack thereof in that case, for sure. The pain is bad, but it's a signal that something has gone wrong. And so the argument of the book was like, look, something went wrong in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. We were separated from God. And it would have been so cruel for God to have left us in a state where we didn't know that something was wrong. Right. That yeah, all yeah. of the suffering we go to, through in the world, all of the pain we go through is a signal that something's wrong. And at some point, whenever the end comes, everything's going to be put right. And at that point, we won't need that pain signal to tell us anymore that something's wrong. 
And so I, I take those two things together. One, that we need this right now. We need to know that something's wrong. And two, that at the end, God is able to make every horrible thing come untrue. And he will. Because yeah. what was it that Cactus said? The great divorce. Heaven works backwards through time. That once we get there, it's something that ricochets out. No matter how wise and, and knowledgeable that you could possibly be on the earth, I feel like we are still ch- still children mm-hmm. in all the ways. And in, in our understanding of truth and our understanding of pain and our understanding of time, I think that's a big one, is we, we see time linear. And I don't, I mean, all the evidence in the Bible points to that God obviously does not. Doesn't. Uh, and that's, that's a mind-bending, you know, world shift in a way that's just incomprehensible to us. But yeah, I don't know. It's really cool. Heaven works backwards through time. So, so the great divorce was the first tenant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's the importance of the movie tenant is, is that a different yeah. understanding of time. I love that movie. I'll keep defending it's it. Good. <laughs> <It's> good. <laughs> People will be like, I didn't get it. Therefore it's bad. I'm like, I wouldn't brag about that. That's I wouldn't brag about, about nugget. People said, it. do you remember when everybody said that about inception? I, t- I took a girl to see inception uh, a long time ago before I met my wife and we left the movie and she was like, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't get it. And I was like, I don't want to go on another date with you. <laughs> <laughs> so many people told me it was so difficult. It, people were like, you, Tenet you was might not far get it. more confusing than than Inception. I mean, I had so many people warn me before the movie, pay close attention because you you might not get it the first time. You might have to watch it again. And I watched it. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I, I get, get it. it. I get it. It was good. <clears throat> okay. Important question. What was he in a dream at the end or not? Okay. People base this on whether or not the, 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 top, the tips top topples. The top is not his totem. It's his wife's totem. His totem is a wedding ring. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, it was real. Okay. There's like a million reasons why it's real, but I just wanted to hear your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Including the fact that the two children in that scene are different actors than the ones before. So basically, Christopher Nolan's telling you that they are, they have grown up. They look the same, but they're not actually the same actors. Um, Yeah, I love that movie. Anyway, (laughs) it's real, people. Come on. <laughs> just like also, if you just keep track of like, if you just pay attention to the movie, you to keep track of when they're in and when they're out, like they're out. You guys, I know it's real. I know. I know, but it's just that the top at the end is meant to confuse you, but it's just, it's not even his totem. So it doesn't even, ma- it doesn't matter. It's really meant to just give you that feeling. And this is what, this is coming from Christopher Nolan himself. Yeah. He's like, it's meant to give you that feeling of when you wake up from a dream because you're leaving the movie and it's supposed yes. to leave you with that feeling yeah and it does so anyway uh just says not everybody's brain works the same some people's brains don't work at all yeah <laughs> we have to do an episode <laughs> on npcs i think you were saying this about npcs not having souls and that being a sign of the inner dialogue is a thing yeah There's- i i don't know if i've ever met someone in person who's told me they don't have an inner monologue but i that's weird like that's too yeah. weird i don't know um there's a quote from Sherlock, the one with Benedict Cumberbatch, that oh, my okay. sister likes to quote to me. It's, <laughs> it's Mycroft to Sherlock. It's like, I used to think you were stupid until I met other children. 
That's my relationship. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. That's great. You were done until I met met other people. (laughs) Yeah, I thought I was. I I spent most of my young life thinking I was average, like of average intelligence. Mm. Like, and then I met people. And then I met people. (laughs) And I was like, oh. Yeah. Even when I saw, like, my, my, my SAT scores were like in the 90 some odd percentile. And I was like, no, no. What, what is a good SAT score? I can't remember. I don't remember either. I just remember the percentiles. I was like in like 97, 98. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no way. (laughs) I just remember I did good on mine and I didn't try. I pretty much just like didn't care because I wasn't going to college that like when I left high school, I wasn't going to college. I did end up going for a a little while later on, but I was like, I don't care. And I just kind of like went through it as quick as I could. And I still didn't get on it. I was like, Oh, it's not that hard of a test. People are just really dumb. Yeah. It turns out, um, school, how you do in school is not actually a good measurement of how intelligent (laughs) you are. Turns out, yeah, one of the dumbest people I've ever met in my life was a 4.0 student. Mm. But they just had no actual intelligence. They just like really worked at yeah, memorizing what they were really supposed to at, memorize. At, at and they could answer the test. And then the knowledge wouldn't even stay with them anyway. <laughs> and I'm not sure it was ever knowledge as much as memorizing. And it's like, yeah, you worked hard to memorize stuff, but you're kind of dumb. Yeah. Yeah. So. Conclusion. Pastors can't be blamed for not preaching these passages. They're just too dumb. People are just too dumb. I think a 900 used to be good and now it's 24. I do not remember the freaking SAT apparently. I remember they changed it just a couple years after <coughs> I went through. Somebody said something a while back. I remember I was like, I'm not going to comment on it now because I don't want to derail this, but, but I want to talk about it. Hang on. I'll find it. Yeah, are you talking about on YouTube? Oh, uh, Jess, <clears throat> uh, a while back said, I do think modern churches are caught in a loop of evangelism first and discipleship on the side rather than equipping the church effectively to go out and be good evangelists. I worked for a church for three years, and while I was working for it, I thought it was good. I was like, I'd grown up in church my whole life. I thought it was a better church than I had really ever been in. But when it comes down to it, the argument for almost everything that they do is for evangelism. We just, we want to get new people. Mm -hmm. But what it really comes down to is the same churches are essentially the same as podcasts. They just want new people. They just want new followers. It's not about people getting saved, at least for the one I was working for. That, that, we want people to get saved. These, this is so that this is for evangelism. This is for new people. Was just code for whatever we can do to get more followers in the door. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of modern churches are caught in that, but they're not actually concerned with bringing people to Jesus. They, they're just concerned with more numbers. It's just the numbers. I think too, that that contributes to the downfall too, because if you're bringing a ton of people into the door and they come in and they get, you know, saved or whatever, and they join the church for five minutes, 
and then you leave them empty and wanting and and you're not discipling people uh and all and then all all of the responsibilities on the pastor at that point so that's not really how the church was meant to be built and set up anyway uh you read acts and then it then it comes down to two things essentially happened is you either have the pastor makes a mistake and then everybody goes well my entire faith was based on this one person and therefore the church is bad and i'm leaving or they're empty and their questions aren't being answered and they join something and then they become the most vocal opponents to it because they were not equipped and discipled and i think that that is i think in a way i think in a way the more people you bring into a church that is uh empty and dead of life the more atheists you're creating Mm-hmm. down the road but for the next generation for sure i remember in the meeting where they fired me this church they fired me for being divisive was the code they used um, if i fired you for being divisive this show would have ended a long time a ago. long time ago <laughs> a long time ago that's what i am yeah Turns well, that, out, that's you know that's why <laughs> we get along out I'm, a, I'm a divisive person <laughs> Um, I spent no. my whole day insulting people's pets on Twitter. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I told Frida that her cat looked so miserable. Or what did I say? I said, your cat looks like it would be happier in a Chinese restaurant than in your presence. I saw that. <laughs> that I also saw one. the one where you were like, your cat looks like it got saved for being put down and, and it, it wishes it hadn't. And then she was like, my cat has cancer. <laughs> that was I'm sorry. That was <laughs> BS. <laughs> you can't tell me, hey, roast my pet. And then if the roast is too salty, I'm going to tell the internet you're a bad person because my pet's dying of cancer. That was lo- that was that was, that was tricky. That was, that was low. low. I, was, I always I always <laughs> lean into those and when hilarious. I'm, when I tell your mom joke and, the, and somebody's <clears throat> like, my mom is dead. I'll just lean even harder into it. Like. Yeah, and she went to her <laughs> grave thinking this. Diabetes will do that to you. Exactly. My cat loves Chinese food. Your cat is Hannibal Lecter. But sorry, continue your point, Abby. I didn't mean to derail you. Um, you got well, fired. In, in the meeting where they fired me, I rem- I'm so glad. I didn't know they were firing me when I said this, but I'm in, in hindsight, as soon as the meeting was over, I was like, I am so glad I said that because it was basically the last thing I said to these people. I was like, you, God entrusts you with people. God sends people and entrusts them into your care as church leaders. And you take for granted that when you fail them and when they leave the church hurting, that they're going to go find another church. You assume that they're going to go find another church, but they won't. Right. A lot of them are just lost. And that's on you. That's on you. (laughs) And then they were like, yeah, you're fired. (laughs) Abby speaking truth to power. Uh, That was a really dark, dark period. But I'm the more I look back, the more I'm like, nice. (laughs) 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 I don't know how I got through that, but I somehow... I think I think I was put there as a prophet role and prophets are always hated and cast out and I didn't always conduct myself absolutely perfectly because I was also like in my early 20s like so you were a human human woman in her 20s yeah I might have been 19 when they hired me I was really young I was I wasn't I wasn't through college I didn't graduate college until after like the year after I got fired so I was really young. I did my best and they invited me to speak. 
they they were like please we welcome your feedback they gave me a lot of positive feedback on my feedback because i think they knew that i was telling them the truth and they really wanted to be the kind of people who could receive it Mm -hmm. and in the end they just couldn't and they didn't want to accept it and so when they rejected god they were like you need to go because they didn't Mm want to hear it anymore and it's sad but i remember wondering for months up until that point whether i was supposed to leave or not and being like god i think you called me here so until i hear that the calling is done i'm not gonna leave and he's like okay <laughs> i'll tell you where to go it's not gonna be a mystery right yeah and i was okay <laughs> like it was really really hurtful because they were my friends um and they meant a lot to me and it was an incre- it was an incredible betrayal but God took care of every part. Like this, I I got a good severance from them, and then I had a part time job I had been working, and that lady was like, "I got you, girl," and she gave me full time hours right out the gate. So I was I was okay. Um, your, there was your husband says after you were fired, lightning struck the building and started yeah. a small fire. Did that really happened. Yeah. So in the week after they fired me, like the Sunday after, lightning <laughs> struck the building, and um. I don't know about the fire part. That might be not true. But I worked in the worship sound production side of things on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I had a couple of different jobs that were melded together. But my Sunday morning was like production. So lightning fried their live stream. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, and then that same Someone week, hired you to work sound? No, no, I was production. Okay. So I was the. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I was the. My title was like the worship assistant. So okay. I worked for Taylor, who. Taylor's a good guy. He was the worship leader. And um, I basically. I do have a decent ear, though. So I was able to tell him, like, hey, this mix is good or it's not. Right. Um, I didn't know what to tell them to do about it, but just like, hey. <laughs> um, but yeah lightning struck and then they had a small flood where they had a a big leak from the roof that went down through a room that I was responsible for (laughs) into a bathroom on the next floor down. It was, it was, it was crazy. And then Ron Wyatt excavated it and found it. (laughs) There was several, um, there was several God like, lightning and floods and like it wasn't a mystery to the leadership there that that god was displeased yeah (laughs) and then i saw a picture of my boss the guy who fired me a year later and he looked off he looked like he hadn't slept since the day he fired me i was like shit dude are you okay That that's that's what happens. That's what happens. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, I'm probably going to get going. Um, no. Wednesday, we are going to be talking about Nazi UFOs. Nazi UFOs. Yeah, we're going to get more into the Nazi occult, the aliens, UFOs, Foo Fighters, satanic magic rituals happening at a castle. It's all there. Literally, it's all there. So, anything you want to say before we take off? Uh, Thursday, I'm going on Freda's show. 
And I think we're probably just going to be doing Unhinged a little later in the evening. Okay. an hour later. We'll figure it out. But yeah, I'll be on Freda's show on Thursday. And I'm sure we'll have a billion things to talk about. This has been a long time coming. I keep uh, canceling on her. <laughs> so if you guys are not following Freda, she does a show called Finding the Faith. And I've been on it. It was the best episode of the show by far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she she interviews people and talks to them about their faith and their upbringing in the church and their thoughts. So I feel like that's a perfect time to bring this up because you can just continue to hear Abby's continue thoughts and rants and how she's, uh, you know, sent lightning down on churches because she's, uh, you know, <laughs> she's that's summoned lightning on her enemies. <laughs> no, but it'll be good. I look forward to that one. So, all right, guys, we will see you Wednesday. Have a great night, everyone. God bless. God bless.